The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 122, although I thought for a second it was 123, but that's not true. It's 122. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my precious co-host, Chris the Travel and Raygun. Chris, I feel you so far away from me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's because it's true. I'm, I'm far away from you. I know Once you again. Are. Once again, you are. You know, they say that a father and a son... <laughs> have some sort of connection and i just felt a little bit more optimistic a little bit more i don't know more more of a carpe diem sort of attitude about life when i felt like you were a little closer to me i felt like you were within within touching distance and now the continental divide brings us further apart once more so how's california it's exactly as i left it yeah i, yeah. I assume so yeah. Except uh, they repainted uh, our entire building, so now instead of looking kind of cool, it looks like a like a gulag. Oh. It's just all white, just just white as white as sin, and it's just well, really sad. Yeah, that does sound sad. It sounds very Soviet. Yeah, it's very but, Soviet. Uh, but that's uh, well, it's something you're gonna have to deal with. I mean, you're moving, right? I mean, is this something that's still happening? Are you what What is going on? I mean, talk to me a little bit about your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still definitely. I mean, I don't want to get into too many specifics because, like, this kind of thing constantly changes, and like plans yeah, always, course. like, ah, you know, this is happening, and then like, whoops, now it's not. But uh, you know, that is still the plan. You know, cool. Ultimately, well, we're, we're all pulling for you. Yeah, and my heart will be full once more once you're back on the East Coast, and we'll have that kindred connection once more, that father and son like spiritual connection that I know that we 
we so very much enjoy here on Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Now, I got to say, I'm just totally deliriously tired today. I'm barely holding it together today. <laughs> I feel I feel very similarly. Yeah, I just didn't sleep last night and I'm just out of my mind today. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what's going to actually we'll happen, just improvise the whole show. We'll make up the news. I know we should make up the news. None of you would even know. Yeah. If we made it up. Bunch of scallywags and lobster backs listening to this show. And of course, Sacred Symbols is our weekly PlayStation podcast. We put it up each and every week and you can get it three days early and ad free by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins last stand. We very much appreciate your support. Support's falling a little bit. I don't appreciate that too much, hmm. but you got to do what you got to do. I mean, the economy is bad out there. It's the holiday season. We get it. Enjoy the show however you can. But your support is, of course, much appreciated. You get a lot of special perks, including Sacred Symbols Plus, which is our weekly Patreon exclusive episode of Sacred Symbols only for CLS patrons. Uh, so last week we were the three of us. So Chris, Dustin and I were going to sit down and do the launch library rankings for PlayStation 5. Chris had a scheduling issue. So Dustin and I sat down and did that and everyone really enjoyed it. We appreciate your kind words on that. This coming week on Sacred Symbols Plus, we're going to now go through the launch libraries for all the PlayStation consoles. So there's now there's seven launch libraries, technically PS1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then PSP and Vita. And we'll talk about what we think the strengths and weaknesses of those are as we kind of gear up for PlayStation 5's November 12th launch here in the States and elsewhere. Or if you're European and in other places, you have to wait till the 19th. Very exciting. How are you feeling about, you know, we're getting close now. Yeah. Real close. Yeah. You know, I'm getting excited. I think I think uh, maybe it's just seeing these machines out in people's hands. That's like actually making it feel like a real thing where it's like it's still it's still to me kind of doesn't feel real because I, I really have no. I, I have no faith that my pre-order even went through or that like this thing's going to get to me. You know what I mean? I feel or, the same. or even if it gets yeah. to me, it's like I feel like I don't know some some crazed lunatic will like swipe it from my doorstep or like some nonsense. Is 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 what I'm anticipating and just like leading to me just not getting this freaking thing. But seeing it out in the wild and like seeing like hands on for the first time and actually seeing things run and seeing things load, knowing what the UI looks like, seeing people's impressions of the controller, which appear to be very good. You know, it's I'm getting excited. It's it's starting to feel it's starting to feel like the next gen is actually like starting to happen. I know even on the Xbox side, like the dashboard is like new and it's like the same because like they're. They're doing this like, you know, same experience for all the systems. So like they updated it. And now now I feel like I kind of have that experience a little bit at home mm. already. So it's like it's like, oh, we're gearing up. It's like it's getting to that point. It's cool. It is It's very exciting. I think that it would be really funny if the box arrived at your doorstep and inside was a George Foreman PS3 <laughs> instead of a PS5. But it was in the PS5 box. It felt weighted like it was a PS5. But <laughs> in fact, it was just the V3 PS3. It would be very cruel. I, I would prefer five playstation ones you know what i mean sure to that yeah i i absolutely understand what you're saying about that yeah we're getting close i'm getting really excited too and it's it's something that i don't know it's just when you're a gamer a player of video games there's not many instances you get where you get to get a new console it's there's there's only so many launches in your life in in the life of your hobby and in your own personal life. And so that in and of itself, it's like a once every or twice every decade kind of situation. It's exciting. Yeah. No, it's really cool. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, too. 
Now, Josh Korea wrote into us and said, hey, double C and a possible D. Uh, D's not here this week. He says, I just want to say that I'm really bummed with everyone doing their PS5 unboxing and previews happening this week. It just pisses me off that you guys are left out of the mix. Do you feel the same way? Not in a PS5 fanboy point of view, but more of a business point of view. You guys run, dare I say, the best PlayStation podcast. So I seriously feel you guys are due a PS5 to at least review. So this is coming up a lot, and I've been a little disappointed with some of the feedback that we're getting recently. Actually, I think it's kind of not accurate feedback about us talking candidly with the audience, Chris, of why we get things, why we don't ask for things, how we don't have connections and how we don't really seek them out. Mm -hmm. And some people look at that as like whining, but I'm like, I don't think we're basically being self-deprecating and also just kind of informing you of what's going on with our show and in our lives and all of that. Yeah, you can find if you can find I dare you to find audio of me telling saying that I'm owed anything. Um, or that I'm disappointed that I'm not getting something. It's really not a thing that happens on this show. So I, I really feel like that, you know, every once in a while we get feedback that I think is just not accurate. And for instance, when we when people didn't want us to move the show and we just moved the show anyway, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. there's some some things I just feel like are not accurately portrayed. And that's one of them. Like we're I'm I personally feel kind of unencumbered right now. I got to be honest, like it's it would be of course it would be nice to play with the ps5 and you hold it and all of that and you play it and you and you, you smell it you know coming out of the box and all of that <laughs> yeah yeah but at the same time i'm like i don't know that i really care and i thought that it was pretty funny you you and um sweeney put up videos to playstation <laughs> i responded to one of your videos on twitter with kind of telling them maybe they shouldn't release it at all because even though i have this pent-up excitement because it's a console it's a new console we're getting new games it's exciting at the same time i'm so overwhelmed with the things I haven't played that. And we said this ad nauseum, of course, but just you don't have to even release this thing at all. It's not going to really hurt my feelings. So I, I don't know. It's yeah. to me. I'm a little disappointed in people's response to, to us being candid. It's the same thing with us talking about what happened with Godfall and them reaching out to us or whatever. We're, we're, we bring these things up so we can have a dialogue and a conversation. Anyone who interprets it any other way is I, I I would doubt that you're a huge fan of the show if you interpret it any other way. And that's fine. I mean, you don't have to be a huge fan of the show. But I think most people that listen to the show understand the through line that we have going on here. And I'm not worried about it for our business. Our business is totally fine and healthy. Yeah. And uh, our outsider, our outsiders kind of status is super helpful to us when Sacred Symbols is in the top 20 in iTunes for video games, which it often is. It's like that's kind of incredible because we do that with no systemic support at all. No access. But we kind of aren't really seeking it out anymore. So, yeah. uh, Chris, I've talked enough about this. I, I want to throw it to you. Do, do you feel disappointed? Because I must say, I know that these un unboxing videos have been unembargoed and all of that. I haven't seen anyone unbox anything because I almost look at it as a spoiler. Like, I want to do it myself. I have, I don't want to know what's inside the box. I'll do it when it when it happens. I don't understand the allure of that stuff. But is it kind of getting your jealousy juices flowing a little bit? Uh, not really. No, I, 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 you know, unboxing a machine, it's, it's, it's going to be over in like 10 seconds, probably like the second you get the tape off. It's like, it's all out there. You just want to plug the thing in. It's um, like when I have sex. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I like, um, like I've seen a couple of the unboxings just cause I like, I don't, I don't really care. Like I understand. Oh, okay. It's an AC adapter and an HDMI and the machine that I've seen already and the controller that I've seen already. It's like, it's, it's not really much of a spoiler to me. It's just, uh, I watched like two of them and I was like, yeah, all right, that's a that's a machine. I don't feel jealous, really, because yeah. it's just um, I mean, it would certainly be nice to get a free thing like no one complains about getting a free thing, but I'm sure. not sitting here like, you know, 
uh, yelling at the sky about it. Me and Sweeney made um, made kind of joke videos because like a friend of ours, Eddie Burbeck, uh, kind of did something similar, and we were like, we should record our our begging PlayStation videos at the same time, overlapping with each I other. I know it was so fu- it was awesome. I mean, it was you guys are really funny. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a funny idea, but that was anybody. No one should take that seriously. Like it's not. It's not a big deal. Uh, Sweeney was so much louder in the background of yours than you are in the background of his. Yeah, I know. Which which was which was funny. But yeah, so I, I just wanted to throw that out there. Like, it, it, don't misinterpret us. I think some people willingly misinterpret us because they want to be mad about things as always. But yeah, I'm not I'm not feeling upset about it either. It's a different kind of look for me because I was in the industry proper for so long and I had this kind of access. It's kind of nice to be on the outside and enjoy it like that. And I got to say, and I don't know if you've seen this, Chris, but for the first time during a console launch, and it's been a while, so this is almost like the first major PlayStation console launch in the era of the real gamer, taste-making YouTuber and podcaster and Patreon support. You know, like, mm-hmm, yeah, I feel like there's been, a, not not overwhelming, but a lot of people are saying, like, we don't give a fuck that you have a PlayStation 5. To, you know, like, we don't, we don't want to see 8 million videos and your pictures of you hugging it, and it kind of puts some people off. And so I'm glad in some sense that we don't at least risk that. Because I've 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 probably been part of that in in my life too, certainly. When I've tweeted out, oh, I got this and I got that, we often would do that to just tease that we have things and get excited. But there's some people doing it. It's like, what is even the purpose of you doing that other than to make other people feel bad that they don't have it? Especially because people aren't able to get it. It's so supply constrained. So I th- I'm kind of <laughs> glad to be out of it. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I, I thought about I thought about making uh, a PS5 unboxing video anyway. Like, even though I didn't have it, I, I wouldn't know how I would do that, though. Maybe I'll, like, make something out of, like, I, I, I don't really own clay, really, but. <laughs> oh, just come to my my house is built on. Dude, my house is built on clay. It's like it's, it is practically Play-Doh. That's so yeah, that's a little horrifying. Yeah. So it's probably going to float away at some point in the flood. But, <laughs> you know, it's just the way it goes, I guess. Um, Let's see here. Oh, the, a couple of just notes real quick. I often don't pimp knock back my other podcasts on here very often. It's a podcast I do with my brother Dagan. It's a retro and nostalgia podcast. But every once in a while, we broach topics that are relevant, germane to the show. And Horizon Zero Dawn, we just did a show on. And I think you guys might enjoy it. So go check it out either on Patreon or on free feeds. Knockback is the name of the show. And there's a new PlayStation app available on iOS and Android. People are really enjoying it. I I went on my PlayStation app yesterday on my phone and it hasn't updated. I don't know if I have to. I'm really dumb with this stuff. So I'm like, <laughs> do I have to like delete the app and go download another? one? I don't know. So I got it. But, uh, but people are, are circulating the pictures and are really excited about it. And it, it seems to be much more functional. So if you are an iOS or Android user, which pr- pretty much everyone is, go ahead and check that out. Now, a couple corrections to get through before we get into what we're playing. Dustin Gontrov wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, this is one just uh, I'm sorry. He says this one is just a small correction directed towards Colin on a couple of recent episodes of Sacred Symbols and Sacred Symbols. Plus, the topic of preloaded games on PlayStation consoles has come up. Colin has mentioned Welcome Park on Vita and the Playroom on PSVR. However, the Playroom comes preloaded on PS4 since launch in 2013 and was meant to show off the DualShock 4 and the PlayStation camera. A separate title, uh, the Playroom VR, was released in 2016 as a free download for PSVR to act as a pseudo packing game. So, yeah, those are the two things I was confusing. You're absolutely right. I totally forgot about the playroom, and I don't even know if I ever played it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I, I certainly I'd have to go back. I don't think I did. I don't. 
there must be trophies in it or something. I don't know, but I, I, I never played it. For, it's funny, though, because Welcome Part Vita came out in 2011 in Japan. PS4 didn't come out until about two years later. And I still thought of Welcome Park before the playroom, which is strange. So yeah. I wanted bit. to acknowledge that. I apologize for that error. Juicy Ludolin wrote in, or I, I totally messed that name up, but Juicy Lundolin, I don't know. <laughs> Says, hey guys, couple things from last week's show. First of all, Arkham is a fictional town that appears in many of H.P. Lovecraft's works and in other writings about the Cthulhu mythos. The name Arkham Asylum in Batman is an homage to Lovecraft. I did not know that this. Yeah, this is something that like feels like something that I, I should have known, but somehow I didn't. I, I don't understand how I've seen Arkham in so many different contexts and never once thought about what the hell it was. I honestly yeah, I thought know. it was a Batman thing, like exclusively for the longest time. Yeah, I did, too. I never read. Lo- I never read Lovecraft at all. Uh, he's obviously an, people that don't know an American author that was somewhat somewhat well known in the early 20th century but as i know as i understand he actually wasn't really appreciated until long after he died but he's kind of you know people use the word lovecraftian mm-hmm. to describe monsters cthulhu is one of those monsters obviously so he's kind of responsible for this almost this iconography this monster iconography in american and you know western horror so i didn't know that i, I just didn't know that i'm embarrassed to say that i didn't know that but yeah I didn't. it is it is pretty embarrassing but, you know, what do you I can do? think of more embarrassing things, but I can think of less embarrassing things, too. <laughs> so Ian wrote in and said, hey, punk heads, Colin, I've got a question for you. A couple of weeks ago, you had no idea what the hell Stone Cold Steve Austin's most famous catchphrase was arguably the most famous pro wrestler of all time. And you're clueless there. All right, Ian, I don't know anything about wrestling. There's no doubt, but he is not the most famous wrestler of all time. Uh, I wouldn't even say he's top five most famous wrestlers of all time. Right. Yeah, I was about to say, like. I was like say, Hulk like, Hogan, the, and, yeah, Hulk Hogan, the Undertaker, right? John Cena, Rip Flair, Triple H, yeah, The Rock, yeah, Andre the Giant. Come on, man, Randy Savage. I mean, I, I get it. Top ten, I would say, sure, but yeah, Randy Savage. Uh, but I know that that's not true, Ian, and I don't know anything about wrestling. So maybe you're clueless. Rey Mysterio. Says, I don't know. I don't know anything about wrestling, and I know these people. But he says here the very next week you drop a ravishing like Rick Rude on us. Rude was amazing. R.I.P. No disrespect. But how the hell do you know Rude and not Austin? That's like saying, what's this game? The last final, the finality of us. I'd rather play Sackboy's prehistoric moves. All right. I understand what you're saying here, but I'm 35 years old and I actually did like wrestling in the in the late 80s, mid late 80s, early 90s. And I remember Rick Rude. And so that's he was ravishing Rick Rude and he would come out and, and gyrate his pelvis and all that. I remember I remember him. But, you know, the, the thing about wrestling back in the day and why I found it so appealing and why I don't find it appealing at all the last 20 years is because it used to be about like these these quirky, colorful, ridiculous, over the top, campy characters. And now it's just dudes with no shirts on. That's like really. And, and I just don't find that interesting. I thought the million dollar man or whatever was way cooler than The, the Rock. You know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It was just. That's just my thing. I I know that that's probably not a popular thing. It's certainly not something that's said with any authority because I'm, you know, I'm clueless, but not yeah. as clueless as you who said the Stone Cold Steve Austin was one of the top five, the top wrestler of all time. Yeah, no. Which, of course, even I know is nonsense. Dave Bautista exists. Chris Benoit killed a person, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's right. And also, didn't someone die in a wrestling match like he he, he came from the, the roof? Remember, oh, like God, there was like I a guy no that jumped. I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, let me see. I'm going to look it up. Wrestler who died <laughs> jumping from so rafters. It's it's it. Oh, Owen Hart. Yeah. Yeah. 
1999, died due to injuries following an equipment malfunction and fall from the rafters of Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri. But even, no offense to him, of course, but he's kind of, he looks like the wrestler where I'm like, this is when it got boring a little bit. Although I know he's an old, an older OG guy, but dude's in like onesies and... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could never like get into it for that reason. It just felt, um, I don't know, like there are more compelling avenues to watch people fight in. And to me, it's like, I don't know, anything else but this. Yeah, UFC, I mean, I UFC is 25 plus years old now. But I and I remember renting the early UFC videos from like Blockbuster when it was like really crazy when like sumo wrestlers would fight karate guys and stuff. It was like Street Fighter. It was awesome. But yeah, at some point UFC to me, not that I'm a big fan of combat of of mixed martial arts, but at least it's real. And I don't know. Teach his own. Teach his own. Thank you for getting me all riled up, Ian. (laughs) All right. Matt Sloan writes in with a compliment. He says, hi, guys. After so many Seinfeld references, I thought I better give the show a chance. I've never watched an episode, but I've watched all of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I have to say, thank you for getting me into the show. Truly brilliant. One of the greatest. It's available on Amazon Prime in the UK. It's interesting because it's available on Hulu in the United States. Yeah. Also, the quality of the podcast have been on the of the highest quality recently. And, and I've just upgraded from the five dollar pledge to the ten dollar. Have a great weekend, guys. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you. Look at that. Look, now, at, the, look at the good that we're doing. I know we are doing something pretty special over here, I think. And it's going to get real special now because Jeff wrote in and said, why do shower farts hit different? Why do shower farts hit different? Chris, what, what do you have to say to that? What do you mean? What, what is the meaning behind hit different? I don't know. I think I think I read it in a few different ways. I feel like there's a little bit of a texture here. He's saying that, like, they, I think they come out a little different. I think they even have a different aromatic. But but he's he's this is like you say this when. When you say like, oh, man, why does this hit different? Like no mm. one says that in like a negative context. So the the like the implicit. Im, the implication here is that. Jeff thinks it's like it hits better. And I just don't yeah, understand on, that perspective at all. I'm on the Urban Dictionary for hits different. Uh, it says to listen or experience something that conveys a different emotion or feeling than when previously experienced. This yeah. new te- feeling is typically significantly worse or better after new information is discovered. I've never heard it. I've never heard it used for worse. It's always like, oh, man, that song really hits different when you know. No, like, I agree. You know, this, I agree with you. You know what I, I mean? agree with you. So it's like I, I can't I cannot perceive a reality where it would hit positively. He says here the or the whoever wrote this in on Urban Dictionary, the sentence, the example sentence is, I love Michael Jackson, but this song hits different now that he's a pedophile. LMAO. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, Thank you for writing in, Jeff. All right. Let's uh, talk about the games we're playing. I'll kick it over to you. You're playing a few pieces of expansion content. Yeah. Talk to us. Yeah. So I jumped into a little bit of uh, Ghosts of Tsushima Legends. I didn't get a chance to finish an entire match because I had uh, a bunch of shit to do. But there's a a really cool like story mode kind of tutorial area where they kind of like narrate each characters and each each class's abilities and like kind of teach you how to play and it, it it does play a little bit different than the standard kind of single player mode that's already in Ghost of Tsushima. So I thought I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't get much time with it, but I I definitely want to play a little bit more of it. Uh, unfortunately, my PS4 just stopped giving me sound, so I I don't know what to, I got to figure that out before I jump yeah. back into it. Yeah, but, but like literally Certainly. no reason, like out of nowhere. So <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> But, um, and 
I've also been playing the new Doom Eternal DLC. I th- I'm pretty sure it's called The Ancient Gods. Like, I did this I from so. memory, but I'm pretty sure yeah, that's it, what it is. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. And, you know, it's more Doom Eternal. It's very good. Uh, the Marauders are still infuriating. Uh, not because they're hard, but because they're boring. So whenever they show up, I'm like immediately like, oh, man, they didn't. They just they could they could they couldn't help themselves. But it's more Doom Eternal, which is good. Uh, because the combat in that game is so good and the AI just plays so well. It really does feel like Dynasty Warriors sometimes where it's just like so many enemies. It, it's like if Serious Sam had like smart AI. You know what I mean? Where it's just like hundreds of, of these interlocking AI p- chess pieces that just kind of go after you and like flank you and actually like cleverly attack you. And it's it's so exhilarating. And it, it I'm, I'm glad that I kept Doom Eternal installed. On my consoles because it's like I probably wouldn't have bothered to reinstall this whole thing just for a DLC but because it was already there I was like ah you know what I'll jump in I don't normally jump into DLCs typically but it's uh it's pretty damn good it just it's just more of what made Doom Eternal really good so it's pretty well, I'm excited good. about that I, I did I did verify it is the ancient gods part one part one part right, one that's what I forgot uh, all right, cool. So, yeah, a little bit more of Doom. I feel like Doom's kind of Doom Eternal's kind of been a little bit forgotten in the conversation this year. Yeah, I, I think it just came so early in this. Like ever since the the pandemic, everything's felt like really stretched out. I feel like the last like two months that I spent in New York felt like half a year. You know? Oh yeah, definitely. So this like, year like has I, felt. <laughs> I was talking I mean, to my roommate, and he was like, "Yeah, wow, that dude, that game came out this year, didn't it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, it did." So did Animal Crossing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think about Final Fantasy VII Remake or and stuff like that, where I'm like, Jesus Christ, these these games all came out this year. You know, Res- Resident Evil Three Remake that feels yeah. like it was ten years ago. Ten yeah. years. <laughs> it's a long, it's a long year for sure. Oh my God, it's almost over. Thank God. All right, I'm still playing East Eight on Vita, so it's a grind. I'm enjoying it. I'll have more to say about it when I beat it in the coming weeks. I've gone back to this game, uh, Eichenfell which is a strategy, a turn-based strategy role-playing game. Really cute. This is These are the guys that don't don't like me, or at least one of the guys blocked me on Twitter before when I went to go congratulate him on the game. So I talked about these guys a couple weeks ago, but I'm working my way through the game. I really enjoy it. And it's interesting. There was this, there's this really dynamic soundtrack in the game that is chiptune-y sometimes, but then I'm fighting this one boss and there's just like a rap song over the, the boss fight. I mean, this is great. And I actually died against the boss because I was listening to the song. So some pretty cool... Uh, soundtrack decisions in the game and I like that it's kind of got this linear feel where the game doesn't feel too big you know that there are some side options and things to find but it doesn't feel too overwhelming I feel like I need a game like that right now but I'm eager to get through it I, I don't know what I'm gonna play next I assume I'm gonna be done this weekend I might go back to Final Fantasy 7 remake now I think it's m- maybe time for that yeah but I mean we got a little bit of time we got like a week and a half before console comes out so i think it would be a good time to fit that one in so there's that but yeah i can fell i recommend it if you're into strategy role-playing games go check it out all right christopher we have to get through some news here there's actually some pretty substantial news this week yeah in the in the shadow of the playstation 5 so it's let's a, yeah it's a hefty week let's get into it it is it is a hefty week number one cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed yet again the latest pushback in a recent string of them The delay isn't very long, though, only three weeks. Here's what the developer CD Projekt said in part, quote, Today we've decided to move the release date of Cyberpunk 2077 by 21 days. The new release date is December 10th, ellipsis. 
The biggest challenge for us right now is shipping the game on current gen, next gen and PC at the same time, which requires us to prepare and test nine versions of it while working from home. Since Cyberpunk 2077 evolved towards almost being a next gen title somewhere along the way, we need to make sure everything works well and every version runs smoothly. We're aware it might seem unrealistic when someone says that 21 days can make any difference in such a massive and complex game, but they really do, end quote. Naturally, some drama erupted around this decision, this time regarding CD Projekt's internal secrecy regarding the delay, which they didn't relay internally until they were on the verge of announcing the delay publicly, according to the game, uh, according to the publication Game Informer. CD Projekt claims that this has to do with Polish labor laws, which seems accurate, but there is some conjecture that the publisher has been staunchly defending its stock price and that it announced its game had gone gold and then delayed it again, kind of circumventing the entire point of the term gone gold. Website PC Gamer also reports on internal QA discussions at CD Projekt in which leadership squarely pointed at current gen ports of the game on PlayStation 4 as well as Xbox One as being the major holdup. They also didn't seem totally confident that they'd hit the December 10th date either. John Burquist wrote into us on Patreon and says, hey, all my question is simple. What the fuck is going on with Cyberpunk? Is there something fundamentally wrong with this game or are they taking another month to add point point two points onto their Metacritic score? If it's the latter, it just doesn't seem worth it. Curious to hear your thoughts. What are you thinking, Chris? I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, it's a little weird because like I feel like every time I see that that standard kind of infographic that uh, CD Projekt kind of puts out that, you know, the big yellow card with the big wall text. It's almost like kind of like a meme at this point. You know what I mean? Like I saw it and it was like, I, I, at first I thought they were just sort of joking. Like they put this, they put that thing out and they were like, ah, oh, you know, it's going to be like this big wall text to be like, hey, the game's not delayed just to kind of, you know, kind of poke fun at themselves a little bit. But it's totally, it's totally real. And it's, it's weird to me that they just keep delaying it a little bit, you know, because presumably you kind of understand when you make the call to delay a game like any like any amount of time I feel like I feel like you have to have a a reasonable understanding of how long it's going to take to really get the game to the point where you need it to be for launch and the fact that they just keep doing this like oh a couple weeks oh a couple weeks it's just a little bizarre that they even bothered to do this instead of just delaying it to like I don't know December 10th the first time yeah, or just not if they had to delay it again, I, I feel like just delay it to next year. Now you're getting really close to the margin, and I don't know what their intention is with this. I have to say, and some people have been saying this in various venues, and I must say, this is a great example of a of a situation where you have to remain open to new information and kind of vacillate based on that information. I feel like I undersold CD Projekt's ineptitude when I was defending their crunch practices, because it appears that they're in over their heads with this game without a publisher. And this is where I think having some help and some support would really be of great assistance. Remember when I was making a big, big deal about how THQ Nordic uh, purchased Saber Interactive and how that would allow them to flex and like offload porting jobs and all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and skews to them. Yeah, there's like 600 people at that studio or something. They could really use help like this right now because they have to now they have to worry about PS4, PS4 Pro, Xbox One, Xbox Series S, Xbox One S, right? Xbox Series X, PS4, PS5. Did I already say those PC? I don't know. It's like a whole mess. And I, I, I think that they're in over their heads a little bit with it. 
And I think the other thing that we have to read between the lines is because they're going so close to the border, they must really need the money. Now, I'm not saying that from a solvency standpoint, but they may they must be trying to get the revenue in before the end of the year for some reason, because otherwise I, I don't know why you would just maybe just be like, listen, we need we need more time. And it is getting a little uh, a little strange. But do you think there's something wrong with the game itself? We did conjecture a long time ago when we both still lived in California, I believe that it was going to be hard for them to get this game to run on PS4. And it seems like that is indeed the case. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I mean, even even the earliest builds that I can remember seeing or that I can remember like journalist friends of mine getting their hands on or like getting behind closed doors, like viewings of, of the game, even back then when we when they first saw it, the the assumption from everybody was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely not like current gen what we're seeing. It definitely looked next gen, like the density of the crowds, the complexity of what was on screen it definitely seems to me like this is a game that was built with the intention of, you know, focusing on the next generation, but it has to exist on the current gen two because of how much time and money has gone into it and how big those user bases are. And I think it's going to be, it's, it's probably a nightmare trying to get this freaking game running on an original Xbox one, you know, like an original PS4. That's probably like screaming to be murdered. Like as you plug it in, like it's, yeah, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that that's totally the reason. And obviously, like, optimizing it for various different platforms. Um, it's also going to be on Stadia, I think. Um, and all those other weird, random, out-of-nowhere places. So I think, I don't know, I, I think optimizing a game like this, a next-generation game like this, for so many different platforms, especially underpowered ones, yeah, I, I believe wholeheartedly that that's probably the main reason why things aren't going as smoothly as possible. And the the way that it lines up is it really an opportune for them, too, because if the PS5 version and the Xbox Series X versions were in trouble, they'd be probably be like, well, fuck it. You know, we'll, we'll worry about those next year Let's get the PS4 and Xbox one versions out and the PC version. But it's the versions on the current gen consoles that will sell the most copies. They need to get those ones right. Yeah. And so there is that as well. Now, Chris, something has been slipping by the goalie with some people, something that was said at Again, I, I, I at, uh, at CD Projekt, I, I cited this PC Gamer article from earlier where I guess some people internally were talking in some sort of open QA format that people had reported on uh, to or, or told PC Gamer and then they reported on it. There's something that's said in this from I think it's I want to get. Yeah, it's Michael Nowalowski, who is the vice president of business development at CD Projekt. So not a front facing guy. Here's what PC Gamer says about what he said. So. I, I feel like people aren't reporting on this. And so I'm just telling you this because I don't know that the game's coming out on December 10th either. Here's what he said. PC Gamer says, quote, as for the new release date of December 10th, it's firm, if not quite rock hard. So here's what Noelowski said. He said, we feel maybe not comfortable, but confident in the new release date, Kaczynski said. And then when he was saying that the, when he was asked by someone if the game would definitely come out on December 10th, he said, quote, that's more or less what I'm saying, I guess. Yes. <laughs> End quote. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. They lost sight of the ball at the very last minute here. Yeah. Not good. Not good. Now, Mark Byrne wrote into us on Patreon, says, howdy, boys. Following the announcement of Cyberpunk 2077's newest delay, certain journalists took this as an opportunity to further lambast CD Projekt Red's work culture. Usually I roll my eyes at this commentary. However, it was also confirmed that the guys at CD Projekt Red were only told about this decision very shortly before the email went live on social media, essentially being told parallel to the rest of the world. 
that the game was delayed through a company-wide announcement. That is fucked up, right? So, yeah, what do you think about CD Projekt's handling in terms of, I don't know, like, it, it seems like I, re- I, I personally, not so much you because you weren't quite as ardent about it as I was, but I kind of have to reassess my, not so much my, well, maybe my understanding of the studio, but my faith that this studio was better run than it seems to be. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think this definitely reeks of poor management. I think anytime anything like this happens, you can pretty much nail it down to like who's managing, who does what, and like the timely manners that everything gets done. It's usually a management issue that leads to this kind of thing. And the fact that this is going to be, you know, just more crunch, presumably, because, you know, you, you don't delay a game like this and then just have like relaxing nine to five days until until you get until you hit this like what seventh delayed release date you know it's it's um it's it's not a good sign it's it's also just i think it's demoralizing at the very last minute i mean these guys are about to be done they're about to go on their vacations and get their bonus checks and and be with their families and kind of chill for a while and it it, it does suck when the the light at the end of the tunnel is just kind of staying in place even though you're running at it i'm sure that's really tough for them so I do want to acknowledge that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of reassess my own uh, preconceived notions about what's going on at CD Projekt. But hopefully we'll get more information on that soon. There is one other thing, though, about this story that I want to talk about, which is that this game went gold. And Andrew Duda wrote into us and said, hey, guys, with Cyberpunk 2077 having officially gone gold recently and now being delayed a fourth time, what could be said about this game at this point? Is this the first time, if ever, where a major game has gone gold to only be delayed an additional month? I can't imagine what that even means logistically on there. And their reasoning is the cross-gen night platform releases of the game. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. We know all of that. So thank you, Andrew, for writing in. So uh, fellow industry sage, IGN Xbox editor, longtime Xbox expert, Ryan McCaffrey, a friend of mine, he and I were talking on Twitter about this, and he had asked, "Have has any other game gone cold and then been delayed or even canceled? And I could come up with three, three of them. And he actually had already come up with one of them um, himself. The, the big example here is NBA Elite 11. And people might remember that EA was trying to get back into the NBA game for a while. And they made NBA Elite 11 and then canceled it like literally after the game was printed. And wow. you can go read and you can go read that there are like versions of the game that you can go buy for like thousands of dollars because there's like a few of them floating around. And we had it at IGN. So that's the example Ryan came up with. That did happen. But the example I came up with was um, the old e- another EA game, Godfather 2. Yeah, we got uh, I brought this up that Godfather 2 at IGN. We got Godfather 2 in January of 2009 and it didn't come out and it was delayed. I had already beaten it and like wrapped up the guide and then it came out like three months later. So that was another example we brought up, th- thought of. And then the other example I, I thought of was the late 90s controversial PS1 fighting game Thrill Kill, which was this kind of. This kind of iconic game that no one played um, in the late 90s that was canceled at the very last minute because it was so violent for the time. And we actually had that at IGN. We actually had a copy of it. (laughs) I remember this. Yeah. So those are the examples I could think of. But no, it's uncommon. And I'm, I'm curious, Chris, how you feel about them kind of bastardizing the term gone gold. It doesn't mean that you don't continue to work on the game, but it, it means that the game is fundamentally finished. And what I'm concerned about is the logistical nightmare on their end. Yeah, it is. But what I think might be, there's two possibilities. It's either that they weren't really gold, in which case I think that might be illegal because they're a publicly traded company in Poland. 
So that's one thing that I think should be kept an eye on. And I think that there's some indication. Again, I'm not an expert on this, but there seems to be some indication that they might have been fucking around for that reason. And I'm curious for more reporting on that because I don't know for sure if that's true. Um, It's just conjecture right now. And the other thing is, is that you patch your game, but did they print these PS4 versions of the game already? And are they going to ship them? And are they going to require like a 50 gig patch or something? They're definitely going to require a, a huge patch for certain. Like without a doubt, this thing is going to be patched like to hell on day. And and like a lot of games have day one patches that like ultimately end up with like very, very minor changes. But, you know, this one is definitely one that's probably going to have quite a bit. Like I, I, I already see that as like a pretty much undeniable, you know, inevitable future. I I don't know if they didn't really go gold, though, because I do believe that the game is finished and I do believe that the game will probably run start to finish on a PlayStation 4. The thing the issue is, will it run well? Because like, I mean, even there are games like Control ran horrifically, like the fact that Control went gold to me is kind of like I love Control, but like that game does not run like a game that went gold. (laughs) You know, it, it definitely feels like it needed a lot more work like if god of war 2018 ran like control like no like it, it'd be everybody would be like what like how'd you how'd you do this yeah um, you're right and you're i right. feel like it's going to be a very similar thing which which is not really surprising given like the next gen kind of nature of it i think cyberpunk 27 2077 is definitely going to run very similarly to if not worse than control on base playstation 4s and xbox ones and even xbox one x's and ps4 pros i think you're going to have a really sluggish, uh, kind of disjointed, fucked experience <laughs> if you don't download the the day one patch. But I don't think it's necessarily not gold. You know, there are plenty of games that run very poorly on current gen hardware. I think even some of the best selling sh- best selling shit out right now, like Monster Hunter, doesn't really run all that well on PS4 Pro or Xbox One X even. So. I don't know. I don't know if it's illegal necessarily because I'm sure they went gold. I just think that there's so many. I think they're perfectionists to a degree where they're like, okay, uh, it's finished, but like, come on. You know? Yeah. Well, I want to be clear. I don't think necessarily that they that they did it to manipulate anything. Right. I'm just saying that if they did do that, it is illegal. Oh, yeah. Because sure. they are they are a publicly traded company. And I'm sure that when they announced the game, it went gold. I'm sure that they spiked. So. It's just something to keep in mind. And I saw some people talking about it, but I don't have any insight into that. I'm not making any accusations. It's just kind of peculiar because because of that specific thing about the term gone gold and that Ryan and I, who both who have 40 years combined industry experience, right, can only think of three other games that have ever done that have like gone gold and then disappeared or didn't or were delayed. And so it's really weird. And it's really weird for a game this big. This is arguably the biggest game of the year. So outside of the Call of Duties and the free to play stuff. So I don't know, just something to consider. But I just hope this doesn't further bastardize the term, because what Gone Gold signifies is that the game is, is you know, being certified and pressed, but it can still be worked on in the in the back end. And that's what I'm really excited about is like, is this fucked version of, of Cyberpunk on the PS4 disc? I bet you it is. So we'll uh, we'll find out. But I'm, I'm, I understand why people are getting a little skeptical. I think the game is going to be great, but I'm not really that excited about it. But I think the game's going to be great. But I think you got to temper your um, performance expectations if you're not playing it on PC or next gen. Yeah. We'll find out soon. That's enough. exactly what I would say. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. 
Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. All right, Chris, here's an interesting one. Number two. And a move predicted by some people in this very audience. The strange PlayStation 5 launch game Bug Snacks developed by Studio Young Horses is going to be PlayStation Plus's very first free PS5 game. It's going to stick around as a free game for quite a while, too. You'll be able to nab it anywhere from November 12th until January 4th of 2021. As described later in the PlayStation blog post, quote, Bug Snacks is a fr- and I'm putting this in here because I know a lot of people don't know what this game is. I quite don't know what it is. So here's a little <laughs> bit of a description, quote, Bug Snacks is a first-person narrative-driven adventure that has you setting off to the mysterious Snack Tooth Island in search of the tasty creatures known as Bug Snacks Mysterios. I see that you uh, you edited that to say Mysterios. Thank you. Uh, end quote. There was, no, there was no S. Oh, oh, there wasn't. It just yeah, said Mysterio. It just said Mysterio. Oh, well, that's my fault then. So you could scratch a game off of your to buy games at PS5's launch because you won't have to. Bug Snacks is Young Horse's second game. Their first being their first being 2014's indie hit. Octodad, Dadliest Catch. November also has free offerings for PlayStation 4, of course, in the form of two games. First up is Middle Earth Shadow of War, the 2017 action RPG from Monolith Productions. That's the sequel to what was that? Uh, 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 no, it's not the sequel to Shadows of War. Mordor. Uh, Shadows of Mordor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and second is Hollow Knight Void Heart Edition, the complete version of the awesome Metroidvania that came to PlayStation 4 in 2018. I'm a huge Hollow Knight fan. I love that game. Highly, highly, highly recommended. You check that out. It's very, very well done. So uh, Graham Allen wrote into us and said, I beat Octodad, Dadliest Catch in 10 hours. You are both weak and your bloodlines will be forgotten. That's what he said to us. I don't know that that's really appropriate. Yeah, it's pretty mean. Oh, but nonetheless, thank you, Graham, for writing. And so uh, I got to say, this news has kind of made me want to give Bug Snacks a chance because I don't have to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not at this point, you know? I'm definitely morbidly curious about it because it seems like it seems like someone ran into like a pitch meeting during like some kind of trip and like managed to get funding for something that he pitched on like a fever dreamed like high out of his mind state Mm. and then just Mm. had to remember what the hell he was talking about and made a game about it. It feels like a mess. But, like, not, like, an incompetently made mess, just, like, conceptually, like, what is this? So, yeah, I'm definitely going to be trying it out. I mean, if I, if I don't have to buy it, like, I don't have to, that's half the sale right there. Yeah, I mean, it's good. And we're going to talk a little bit more about PlayStation Plus over the next couple of news items, but it'll be there for you to grab. So it's kind of cool. I mean, if PS5 really pinched your pockets, you have your built-in game and then you have your bug snacks plus your <laughs> PS4 games. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, if you need to wait for the next check or whatever, at least you have have that. I was curious what the game was going to be because you knew it had to be one of them. I was thinking that it was going to be like something third party, though, like Observer 
or NBA 2K or something. But Bug Snacks is good and Sony doesn't have to eat it because they are uh, it's a, they didn't publish it, but that, that's an exclusive. So I'm sure that they're not they're not eating it as much as if they made a third party investment in that. So congratulations to the young horses because uh, millions of people are going to play their game. Yeah. So there you go. Number three, unknown quantity destruction. All stars slated to be a PlayStation 5 launch title exclusive to the console has been delayed. Instead of coming out beginning November 12th, the game has been pushed all the way back to February of 2021. However, there's a catch and it's a good one. Destruction All-Stars will be free for PlayStation Plus subscribers in February and March of next year, giving you plenty of time to grab your copy. Sony's explanation reads in part, quote, Destruction All-Stars is a multiplayer game that's at its best when you're competing with gamers online from all around the world. We want as many people as possible to experience the mayhem on PS5 and what better way to do so than to provide the game to our PlayStation Plus members, end quote. Destruction All-Stars is under development at Lucid Games, a studio with virtually no big game development experience outside of ports and support work, though they are the studio behind the, the obscure Jacob Jones adventure games, the first of which came to PS Vita in 2013. I actually really liked that game. Sony had an obviously difficult time marketing the second party vehicular combat title, and they may have been seeing soft demand, forcing them to rethink the overall survival uh, of their investment. Richie D wrote into us on Patreon, Chris, and he says, hey, 4K Colin in 60 frames, Chris. Destruction All-Stars being delayed was a no-brainer to me with how little we had seen of the game. But what really caught me by surprise was Sony announcing that it would be free for PS Plus users for two months once it releases. I think this is a great consumer-friendly move by Sony, but this raises a question. Can we start expecting more new releases to be offered as free PS Plus games in the future? Or is this just an isolated incident or situation? Offering Fall Guys as a free PS Plus ended up being a great move as it drew a lot of attention and a lot of players in. And I can't help but think that Sony's trying to imitate that success for Destruction All-Stars. I think it would be cool if Sony started to offer new releases to subscribers every now and then, even if they are smaller indie type games or multiplayer only games. Keep making every damn day of the week great. Much love. So, Chris, this is an interesting question posed by Richie because it really can be one of two things. This isn't the first time something like this happened, obviously. The first major PlayStation Plus multiplayer smash hit was Rocket League, yeah. which owes its entire success to PlayStation Plus's early catapulting. So it could be if you're optimistic, glass half full. Yeah. Then you look at it and you say, yes, yeah, Sony wants Destruction All-Stars to be in a space of its own to get a little bit more marketing, maybe another PR push, and then we can really offer it and get something like Fall Guys. Because obviously they don't really give a shit about Fall Guys being popular or not. It's not their game. Yeah. They want this for their for their, themselves. The other side of it, if you're pessimistic, glass half empty, is that this game saw no interest, no demand. It was up for pre-order, so they can definitely see how many people were buying it or not. And by the way, if you did pre-order the game, you're obviously going to be refunded. They, they noted that. And they need to give it more time to get more spotlight on it for that reason. I'm wondering what you think is going on with this game. I think it's a bit of both. I think uh, there's no way people were excited about this, you know? Like it's just it's destruction all stars like pretty much with every launch lineup for for many consoles you always kind of have these games that you kind of play out of obligation because they're there they're the most um, obvious example of like the newest hardware that you can test uh, you're not getting your like uncharted's on day one so you kind of have to settle for things and I imagine that they a lot of people saw this kind of Fortnite twisted metal thing and they were like ah that's fine I guess maybe maybe I'll see what it's about. But the, even even in their like UI video, when they made a distinct point to kind of focus on it, they they showed nothing of it. 
Do you remember that? Right. You, the, yeah, it, no. Because you remember they, they showed the characters standing in like the circle and they were clipping through the crowd. Yeah, it, it was just such <laughs> a strange game to showcase given because clearly this is not something that they just decided. Like surely like this is something that they were probably like already in the works on while that video was out. So like the, the idea that this is just. I don't think it's all one thing. I think they definitely saw that demand for this was definitely soft, and they also probably think like, "Hey, you know what? Just put some more time into it, get it, get it a little bit more polished, and we could have something that draws a lot of attention to PlayStation. We can have people playing, you know, a multiplayer exclusive experience on our new machines, which is something that we kind of need." So it's you know, I, I think I'd imagine it's, I'd imagine it's a glass has water in it kind of lens. Yeah, I, I think. It's, it is interesting because I think it is a little bit of everything. The, the thing that really stands out to me, and we've said this before, but the more I look at it, the more I'm like, why isn't this a Twisted Metal game? I don't understand why it's not a Twisted Metal game. I think the only answer to that is that Lucid really has no experience and they probably didn't want to give them the IP and then they might fuck it up, which I understand. But it is weird to have like this exclusive vehicular combat game and they're like, it's called Destruction All-Stars. It's like you have you made up vehicular combat. You know, like yeah. mo- you modernized and popularized vehicular combat 20 plus years ago. Why would you? It's a little weird. It's also a dumb name. Like it's it's not really all that. Not not dumb. It's it's generic. It's like Immortals Phoenix Rising again. You know, yeah. Destruction yeah. All-Stars tells me nothing about what that game is. It tells me nothing. That could be that could be anything. You know, it, it totally could. It to- I mean, it, it doesn't it certainly doesn't ring to me as a multiplayer arena vehicular combat game with that name. Although I and I, I know that this is probably a problem that a lot of people are not experiencing, but the PlayStation faithful cer- certainly are, too. I think it's weird to have the term the name all stars in another second party game. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I think that that's weird, too. Like the term when people when PlayStation fans say all stars, they're referring to PlayStation all stars, the fighting game. And it's it, I think that that's a little weird, too. It's like you had all this pick of the litter. This is not a game you went and got. It's a second party game you produced and funded. And that's the name you came up with. All right. So yeah, it's just very strange. It's a very generic title for a very generic looking game that is somehow based on something that is very iconic. It's it's, it's very strange. It's a strange title all around. Like everything about it's just bizarre to me. But. You know, like if if this was the if this was the route they decided to go, it must be for a reason. Certainly. And I think that it will at the very least give Destruction All-Stars a better chance. And I hope the game's great. I hope it does awesome. But we'll find out. I think we don't really have a good idea of what's even going to be out in February and March per se. So things are in flux right now. We know some things, but it might have a chance to breathe there. And, and like you said, Sony doesn't just make moves out of nowhere. Although I think that watching those guys clip through the ground told me everything I needed to know about destruction all stars that that's the I know how obsessive Sony is with every frame of what they show and that they showed the game in that state and it's not a huge deal but I'm like looks like that's like a PS2 type thing that happens you can have them stand on the ground it's a PS5 game yeah all right I really want to know what you think of this because I've been thinking about this so much differently lately Mm -hmm. number four speaking of PlayStation Plus the vaunted PlayStation Plus collection, a catalog of classic, largely first and second party PlayStation 4 exclusives available free of charge to PS Plus subscribers on PlayStation 5 has been expanded. With some recent additions, the catalog of games has expanded to 20, as revealed by Sony. Here are the games that all PS Plus subscribers can download for free on PS5 from the day they get their console. 
Batman Arkham Knight, Battlefield 1, Bloodborne, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, Days Gone, Detroit Become Human, Fallout 4. It's an interesting one. Final Fantasy 15, God of War, Infamous Second Son, Monster Hunter World, Mortal Kombat 10, Persona 5, Ratchet and Clank, Resident Evil 7, The Last Guardian, The Last of Us Remastered, Until Dawn, and Uncharted 4, Thief's End. Word of the expanded catalog of games comes on the back of word from Sony that PlayStation Plus now has 45.9 million active subscribers, up nearly 10 million year over year. Now, Chris, I want to really know what you think of this, because I've been thinking about this in a different way lately Mm -hmm. in regard to Game Pass and how much we talk about it. This might be bold. I don't know. I I haven't calibrated it quite right, but it might be more worth it to have access to 20 games of this caliber than 500 normal games or whatever it is on Game Pass. Now, I say that for one reason. Game Pass is an additional investment, right? So you're paying for Game Pass on top of gold while PlayStation Plus is already an investment many of us have been making for 10 plus years now. And so you just get these games on top Mm -hmm. and then PS Now becomes kind of an optional thing that certainly isn't very competitive, although I think more competitive with Game Pass than we give it credit for. How do you feel about that declaration that when you have a game or you have a, an offering on your core service right. of 20 games of this caliber? It's, it's, we might be underselling the PlayStation Plus collection a little bit. What say you? No, I, I always thought the PlayStation Plus collection was good. I think um, I, I think Fallout 4 being there is like super interesting, given like obviously the Me recent too. you know Bethesda acquisition for Microsoft. I wonder what that's about. But I think that makes sense, although I think this is less about competing with Game Pass and more about we're putting out an expensive new machine in the middle of a really bad economy. People need things to play on it that they're not going to be able to afford. We got to give them a lot. And, you know, some of the stuff they chose, like Arkham Knight, like, ah, you know, Battlefield 1, these, these are fine games. Crash Bandicoot's great, uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of the main things are first party and, and you know, that wouldn't eat any cost. I, I think this is less about making PlayStation Plus more valuable and more about making PlayStation 5 more attractive in the initial lead up to whatever the next big, you know, proper first party is that isn't, obviously, that isn't Miles Morales, um, which is, like, obviously the biggest one, but... I, I think it's more, but like I don't, I don't see this expanding after this. You know what I mean? Like not, in, not in any real way. You said it really well, and I think, I think what's interesting about it, because that's what my interest in this as well is, is Sony like every couple months going to be like, we're removing Mortal Kombat Ten, Days Gone, and Detroit, and now you're going to get blah blah blah. You know, Horizon and God, you know, whatever the case might be. Yeah. There's a lot of potential here. And the other thing about this, even if it's, it remains static, this is like a thousand hours worth of games. Oh, yeah, totally. So if you are looking at it's a good gaming, value. Yeah. Like if you look at gaming and again, we have controversy about this or co- a conversation about this rather on the show often. But if you look at gaming and partially as time as a currency, then and, and time isn't as valuable to you, then, man, I mean, there's a lot of game here. Persona 5. Final Fantasy 15 Monster Hunter World can be played for thousands of hours by itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that I'd want to do that. So <laughs> this is interesting. Now, the Fallout 4 thing, I think, was probably included before all this Bethesda Microsoft stuff was happening. And so yeah. they're contractually obligated. And as everyone's reminding me over and over again and just talking generally, the deal doesn't go through till next year. So Microsoft's really only talking about their intent to buy ZeniMax. 
this kind of shit annoys me because then, as I said last week, because then Phil Spencer will be like, Phil, they're on a fucking media tour right now talking about it. And then they're asked, so are the games coming to PlayStation 5? And they're like, well, we haven't bought it yet, so we can't talk about it like that. And it's like, but but you're what? Yeah, like it doesn't you're literally talking about the intention to buy it. And we're asking you what your intention to buy it is. This doesn't make it it's complete. People are really, really eating up the bullshit in this. Now, that's a whole other argument we can talk about on another show. But I'm getting a little frustrated mm-hmm. by people eating the marketing speak no matter what happens. But nonetheless, we'll keep an eye on this. My theory on the PlayStation Plus collection is that they will refresh it. Yeah. But we'll Do you find think, out. Well, they'll probably refresh but definitely some of these are leaving. You know, it's going to be like, I feel like it's definitely going to be a rotating. Right. Th- you know, obviously, because right, they right. can't give away Crash Bandicoot forever. Uh, I think the first party games are probably there to stay. Um, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be. I feel like a lot of these games have more or less extracted all of their value on, definitely. Uh, you know, previous uh, previous generations. Um, I think as it stands for competing with Game Pass, I feel like obviously that's not their goal, but I think the appeal here is that, you know, all these games are great and you kind of like, I would be shocked if you haven't played any of these, you know what I mean? But Game Pass is kind of like this weird thing where it really is kind of like Netflix where it's like, oh, you know, that's a game that I probably wouldn't have checked out if I didn't just have access to it and that's kind of like the itch that that scratches and i think to really compete with that i feel like you have to do that i feel like you can't just give like hey here's the best games that we have and it's like yeah well we already played these because these sold millions upon millions of copies you know i mean i i totally agree with you and what's exciting for me too is that out of these 20 games i'm a big playstation gamer i've i've played 15 of them so that even leaves five for me mm-hmm. if i were really curious like i didn't play monster hunter i didn't play mortal kombat or persona uh, i didn't play the call of duty game being included so and then there are games that are that are missing here i think too like i'm a little surprised killzone shadowfall is not on here yeah uh, although and I, I even games like the order i think could be put on here at some point i understand that they want to have the good games first but there are some things that are that are missing on here and and i think the biggest Miss, the two biggest missing games are Horizon and Death Stranding. So I think that those could probably be worked in at some point as well. Ironically, both of those games on PC, so it might not be a coincidence yeah. that they're missing from this. All right. Number five, Sony has revealed interesting new corporate details and tidbits in its most recent financial report as relayed by myriad sources. This past summer, PlayStation 4 piled on another 1.5 million units sold in the shadow of PlayStation 5, bringing the console's life to date numbers as of the end of September to 113.6 million sold. Historically, it still sits in second place on the list of most consoles sold and falls to fourth when including handhelds. Sony's strong, profitable performance, along with massive pent-up demand for PlayStation 5, has sent Sony's stock soaring, according to Bloomberg, which reported that increased expectations are tethered to the company's expectation that it will sell 7.6 million PlayStation 5 consoles by March of 2021, an aggressive number to hit in a supply strap manufacturing and shipping chain still dealing with COVID. To circumvent shipping issues for PS5, particularly to the U.S., Sony will be shipping the consoles by air. Sony's overall financial performance is outstripping expectations, though active users on PS4 has dropped slightly from its high this past summer. Nonetheless, Sony remains bullish on PS5 and press tours, too. PlayStation CEO Jim Ryan told GamesIndustryBit.biz that the company is, quote unquote, committed to perform uh, to outperforming PS4 with PS5, which would be an incredible achievement. He confirms what we had already heard, that Sony will have more PS5s at launch than there were PS4s. And in a separate interview with Newswire Reuters, 
Ryan said in part, quote, it may well be that not everybody who wants to buy a PS5 on launch day will be able to find one, end quote. He also said at some point that they're going to continue supporting with first and second party through 2022 on PlayStation 4, which is not good news. Uh, If you're looking for more exclusives on PS5, we might be waiting a while. So nothing really here to dissect. Yeah. Another 1.5 million on the pile, 113.6 million sold. I think PS4 teeters out at 125. Maybe not even. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, But but pretty exciting. Unless they release like a new cheaper version of it, which is possible, like a third redesign. I could see like 120, 125. Something something in between then. But that's like tail end. You know, yeah, like, it's it's fallen off so much that it's going to be hard for them to do. But that's a really impressive number. And, he's, and they're talking about how they want to beat that number with PS5. I, I would have laughed. I laughed. If you told me that this was the number of PS4 at this time in 2013, I would have fucking laughed at you. It, it's it's really crazy how things have just turned out. Yeah. <laughs> console gaming console dead. Gaming. It's crazy, man. <laughs> you it's the that? same thing with PC gaming, right? Yeah, I, I, of course. And PC gaming was dead, too. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. And the meanwhile, phone gaming was going to take over. Thank God it, it didn't. So although it ruined a lot of things for a while. Yeah. Number six. In these various interviews, Jim Ryan has recently given. He's also talked a little bit about the possible expansion of Sony's first party roster of studios, particularly in the light of Microsoft's rapid expansion dating back to 2018 and seemingly culminating with the outright acquisition of Bethesda. Ryan told Reuters in part that, quote unquote, it might be possible for Sony, quote, to bolster our in-house capability with selective M&A, end quote, meaning mergers and acquisitions. But that growth will likely also come internally. In parallel, he told GamesIndustry.biz that, quote, it's probably not widely appreciated or understood to what extent we have grown our own game development capability organically over the course of this generation. Obviously, it's been helpful by the acquisition or been helped, I'm sorry, by the acquisition of Insomniac, and it's wonderful to have them as part of the family. I would just invite anybody to look at the launch window lineup of the PS4 generation or PS3 generation and compare it to what we are going to bring to the equivalent phase of PS5. There's just no comparison. That is the fruit of not massive spending sprees, but a very, very steadily, carefully planned organic growth. Probably the best example I give, I could probably talk about Naughty Dog, but they've always been making great games. But let's talk about Ghost of Tsushima, which has been a critical delight and certainly a commercial delight to an extent that we didn't think it would be. That speaks volumes to the work that Sucker Punch has done to build on their previous canon of work. We're lucky enough to have five or six studios who fall into that category, but it isn't luck because we've been working on this for years and years. Very quietly, in a very PlayStation way, we've been building something quite special with these studios. You can do it with frenzied acquisition or measured acquisition, or you can do it organically, end quote. Sony has been showing that organic growth by silently creating what appears to be a support team for Sony's worldwide studios in Malaysia, one that is actively on a major hiring spree. Uh, also, we we keep hearing about the, the second team in San Diego and others. I feel like this is interesting for two reasons, Chris. Number one is the example he brings up is Sucker Punch. And I thought this was the worst example for him to bring up because Sucker Punch was purchased by Sony. So if you're talking about organic growth, that's like the worst example, right? <laughs> like he's like, I could talk about Naughty Dog. And by the way, you also bought Naughty Dog. But he's like, well, we could bring up Sucker Punch. And it's like, but you bought Sucker Punch. In fact, Sucker Punch was the last studio before Insomniac you bought. So that's a. That was a weird example that he brought up. But nonetheless, I agree. And this is what I've been saying for some time now that I think Sony needs to continue to grow studios organically. You can either go out, like he says, and buy things, but they're not quite part of your the nature of your studios, your your spirit and your culture 
And so you have to wedge them in. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, look at all the EA studios that have been shuttered after they bought them because of that. So it's harder to grow the studios. But the fruit of growed studios is usually usually bears more fruit than these acquisitions, which now have to be managed and dealt with. So how do you feel about what he's saying here? Because he is kind of I don't know if he's shooting across Microsoft's bow, but it kind of seems like he is a little bit and saying we don't need to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think so. I think it's definitely like at least a thinly veiled kind of, if not response, at least like an acknowledgement of what's going on over at Microsoft. I, I, I do. I do think that that has been a great um, source of their success over the course of uh, PlayStation's history it was although, they, like you said, they 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 have acquired studios, but they also, to their credit, have, you know, allowed studios to kind of do what they want. Uh, they don't typically in in. In my experience, it doesn't seem like they really strong arm any studios into doing specific things. It seems like studios are really willing to, you know, jump into the PlayStation family if that offer extends to them. And I think that's a good thing. Although, you know, I, I think I, I think anything that a company does in this regard, in this in this field, you know, is kind of informed by the successes that they've had. And Microsoft's biggest success, arguably the reason why they are around is because they bought Bungie. And I think that is like a kind of like ingrained in their philosophy where it's like, okay, well, we need to acquire talent. And of course, why wouldn't you think that if that's the main reason why your brand is so powerful today? I think that's just kind of how things go. And I think Sony has a different reason for why they think their brand is strong. And I think it makes all the sense in the world to just continue with what makes, with what formulas make you kind of stand out and succeed. So I, I don't I don't know I think uh, I I don't think Ghost of Tsushima is necessarily a bad example though, as like a as a studio because like they did buy them but it was a while ago. Yeah, it was it was almost ten years ago after Infamous Two. Yeah, it's not Bethesda. Right? No, certainly not. And I would say I mean Bethesda the purchase of Bethesda was a real game changing thing literally for Microsoft. But I've argued in the past that when they went on their buying spree in 2018, Insomniac is a better studio than anything they bought um, mm-hmm. back in 2018. Even I would say Obsidian. So certainly I actually would say Obsidian. I think Insomniac is one of the great studios, probably top 10 or 15 studios in the entire industry. Oh, so yeah. but what's interesting is that he, I, I know he's talking off the cuff. It's it's all being verbatim, but he's like, I could probably talk about Naughty Dog, but they've always been making great games. But let's talk about Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, it's, it's, a little... it's just it's like and then he says we have five or six studios, but they own 12. So it's like, well, which which ones are you talking about? You know, I would assume I think we know. Yeah, it, it seems kind of <laughs> the fact that they, they said like, oh, they've always been making great games. So let's talk about a studio that hasn't. Yeah, you know I, mean? I would that, say that kinda, Sucker Punch has always made great games, too. So it is weird. It's a little weird. I, I was yeah. probably just like a linguistic kind of uh, flub. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't read into it too much. I just think it's <laughs> it's pretty funny, but we'll keep an eye on this. I, I really feel like Sony needs a little bit of a pop in their first party, not from the games, which are most essential, but just from an acquisition or or announcing this Malaysia studio more properly and telling us what they're doing or talking a little bit about the San Diego studio or whatever else they're doing, I think will give people a reason to kind of it's kind of sad right now if you're a PlayStation fan because you're, you're watching your competitor just gobble up these studios and nothing's really happening on your end. And I understand that that's frustrating, but we did see recently and I would love to get Chris's take on this. So we should talk about it now briefly is, you know, the crown jewel on the other side, which I would say is 343, at least for the time being, 
is totally fucked. And now you're throwing this whole new group of studios in and you guys can't even seem to manage what you have. Yeah. What do you make about what's going on over at 343, by the way? We'll tell everyone what happened and then and then give us your feedback. Yeah, yeah. So Chris Lee, who is, I believe, the studio head uh, prior, uh, just kind of resigned. He just stepped away from the project. This was announced. So this is this is complicated because this was announced like a couple like a day or two ago. But it actually the, the announcement actually happened a while ago for when they announced that Joseph Staten was coming in because the studio head at 343 typically like oversees uh, is, is essentially like the project lead for like campaign and multiplayer. He kind of oversees the entire uh, the entire big picture of the project. And I think when Joe Staten came in and kind of took a lot of that responsibility away from him as he's overseeing the campaign, he's an ex Bungie veteran. He wrote all the the main Halo games. He knows what he's doing. He's in that role. There's not much of a role left for Chris Lee. So ironically, like the news that I was like really excited about, like a couple weeks ago, is actually like the exact same news that's happening now. It's just the other side of it. So it's actually right. like a lot less stressful than I initially thought. But still, mm. that is like a really poorly managed studio. And it's like it's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's wild. They've never been well managed. And weren't you saying that some sources had talked to you about how people really just openly come there for a year just to get Halo on their resume and then they just leave. And that's and it's just kind of a rotating. Yeah, yeah. They, they, situation. They, I don't quote me on this, obviously. There, the, I have had Too people late. reach out to me. <laughs> I've had people reach out to me from 343. Some of them are some of them are like contractors or some of them are, are like, you know, like just kind of freelance hires. And, you know, they they say that the big problem with the studio is that they rely so heavily on these outside, you know, contracting these outside contractors that just sort of run in to get Halo on their resume. Their communication threads are like really, really poorly managed. It's just all these disjointed email chains. And I think COVID just kind of exacerbated what was already kind of like an underlying problem that maybe wouldn't have been as fatal had people been able to just meet in person and just sort of do all this stuff um, normally. Uh, I think it's I think it's just an example of, of a style of making games that probably would be fine if not for the current, you know, if not for the current uh, situation. Because obviously, like uh, t- plenty of games rely on contractors. The Last of Us Two relies on contractors. Yeah, every, everyone everyone hires contractors. Every single game, even the original Halo games that like three four three is trying desperately to like walk in the shoes of, relied on contractors. It's just I think the nature of communication now and and uh, everything else is just kind of a mess. They also had to build an engine. It's like a whole different thing. It's like a really weird situation that they find th- themselves in. But yeah, that's that's their crown jewel presumably I don't yeah really for now if, i don't really know if it is yeah i don't know who would who oh well, actually it really the the new crown jewel will probably end up being the the uh the initiative but we just don't know what i i think it's obsidian it. oh obsidian yeah i yeah, think obsidian sure. is i i, I think I personally like based on like sheer potential and like you know the the promise of an obsidian skyrim is pretty is pretty wild and I think that that's probably going to be like really important for them. Halo as an IP is really strong. It's just that that IP is just not being given to the, in in my opinion, to people who can handle it, which is weird because I, I listen, I can handle it. If anybody's listening to me, I'll do it for, I'll do it for half the price. All right. Half I can fix price. this. Wow. Yeah. I bet you could. I bet I could. It's very complicated. If you don't have good production pipelines in place, 
and what by that I mean in gaming, producers are organizers in gaming. They're mm-hmm. the ones that manage the spreadsheets and make sure everything's done on time. If you don't have that sorted out during COVID, you're fucked. Yeah. I think this kind of affected Naughty Dog as well because they they don't have a flat structure anymore. They actually have producers now. But so Naughty Dog actually for many years ran with no producers, which is almost impossible to believe. Uh, I think the first three Uncharted games and the last of us were all made without producers, if I recall. So it, it's an interesting, different world we live in. I'll be keeping an eye on what Microsoft's doing with keen interest. Mm-hmm. But I think Halo is kind of losing the plot a little bit. And I'll be interested to see um, how that comes comes about in uh, 2021. We'll see. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Number seven, Final Fantasy 16's website has gone live and on it is a ton of information about the game, its world and characters, some plot details and more. The tagline for the game is, quote, the legacy of the crystals has shaped our history for long enough, end quote. Final Fantasy 16 was introduced to us during a Sony presentation back in September, and it's a timed exclusive on PlayStation 5. The new website tells us that the game takes place in a land called Valestia, a locale centered around these attractions called Mother Crystals. And these are basically mounds of crystals that purportedly bless their lands and provide people with magical abilities. There are six realms in Valestia, and each are vying for prestige and power uh, over these mother crystals. And the most powerful amongst their populations are those that can summon monsters called icons. And that's E-I-K-O-N-S. The website likewise introduces us to three characters. As we saw some of these guys or a couple of them in the main in the uh, trailer, but siblings Clive and Joshua Rosefield and their adopted sister Jill Warwick. Square Enix promises more details on Final Fantasy 16 beginning in 2021. So basically what the game seems to be about is that there are these six kingdoms and they all are vying for control of these mother crystal mounds that they derive their magic from. And uh, icons, I don't know. I don't know if this was introduced. This word might have been introduced in Final Fantasy 14 or 15, but the term used to be in Final Fantasy Eidolon, E-I-D-O-L-O-N-S, which was the summon monsters. So it seems like that might be kind of a take on that. 
I'm looking forward to this. I don't know if you have anything else to say about this game right now, Chris, but I'm really excited about Final Fantasy 16. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm happy to for learning you. more. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. Appreciate that, son. <laughs> Number eight, we got to clear the record here. We were totally wrong about the PlayStation camera adapter and how it would be distributed to people interested in getting their PS4's camera working on PS5 for purposes of using PlayStation VR. We assume the quickest, cheapest, and easiest way to get this done would be to just include the adapter with PS5 itself. And we had heard some reporting in that direction, but it wasn't so. Instead, you need to go to a page on the official PlayStation website called Request Your PlayStation Camera Adapter. There, you're asked for your PSVR unit's serial number, which is found on the back of the processor box. From there, you can then make your request for the free adapter. What? Channing Wireman wrote in and said, hello there, CNC. Were you as surprised as me to find out the PS5 camera is not compatible with PSVR? I guess I was expecting too much, but it's definitely a letdown, and I'll be personally just wait until a new PSVR comes out for PS5 to give me an excuse to pick up the camera. Um, So I wasn't so surprised about that. We've known about that for a while, Channing. I was more surprised that they didn't just include this thing in the box because I feel like this is more expensive and more complicated. And, and I feel like including the adapter might have been a little silent and sneaky way for PlayStation 5 consumers to say like, hey, you know, remember PSVR? Might, might be, maybe you sell a few of them that way, too. Yeah. By just by just jogging people's memories. I just they must have crunched the numbers and realized otherwise. But I don't know. That seems so cumbersome. But maybe maybe only a few hundred thousand people will even request it. So so maybe I'm wrong there. What do you think about uh, this? This move? We were, we were totally wrong. Yeah, I I don't I don't know if I understand the reasoning behind this at all. Like, it seems like it would make this. This doesn't make any sense to me. Like, uh, for real. Like, this seems like something that could have been because what, what is it going to be like? It's like it's going to be like a little dongle, probably. Right. Yeah. It's like a few. What is it? A few pennies to manufacture it. I, I, I actually don't. Now you have to. I understand economies of scale. They're manufacturing millions and millions of these things. It, the costs add up. The poundage adds up when you're shipping this stuff, even if it's just an ounce or whatever, you know. So I understand that there's all of that. But it is weird because I just felt like maybe it was another way for them to kind of sneakily say, hey, we got to. But I know maybe they also don't want to confuse the message because they are going to release another PSVR unit. And yeah, so they yeah. maybe don't want to maybe want to avoid the trouble. Maybe. There. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I guess it, it makes some. I, I just think the, the the having to be responsible for shipping out such tiny nothings. To like hundreds of thousands of people just to me just seems like yeah no we're i'm not gonna do that you know that sounds like a, a freaking nightmare to me but i mean i don't know if, if they think they can handle that and I, I i i presume that they're just betting on a lot of people not doing it you know yeah that's, that's i would assume not yeah yeah i would assume you're right we're looking at five million plus psvr units at, at this point they haven't announced new numbers in a while probably five million and change at this point so you would assume maybe they would get a few hundred thousand requests, but that's a lot to fulfill. Yeah. So uh, we'll see how that all goes. I, I find it hard to believe that they're saving much money, but probably does avoid other things that we just don't understand about the logistics. So everyone keep an eye out for that. Or actually, you can just go do it right now. I think you can go to the site and order it right now. So just Google request your PlayStation camera adapter and you should find the page. Number nine, there's some minor movie related news to report in the video game world. Website Deadline reports that MGM slash United Artists have shuffled their release schedule of films due to COVID, which has been happening endlessly in the movie world. However, this has had a dramatic effect on Tomb Raider 2, which was to come out in March of 2020. The film starring Alicia Vikander as Lara Croft is a follow up to the 2018 film merely called Tomb Raider. 
Meanwhile, various social media feeds confirm that shooting for the long-awaited Uncharted movie has wrapped. The film starring Tom Holland as Nathan Drake and Mark Wahlberg as Sully. It's like even funny to say that out loud. Currently has a release date of July 16th, 2021, a date it seems like it's going to hit. What do you think of that? We're really going to get this thing, Chris. Oh, boy. I'm really excited. Oh, I can't. I got to go see it just to see it, I guess. But I couldn't give a shit less about this movie. I'm really just surprised it's happening. Like authentically, really surprised it's happening. It's happening. It's done. So it's wrapped. I mean, presumably there'll be some reshoots because there always are. But right. That is kind of, you know, it's it's interesting that this is real. I wonder what the, the landscape is going to look like on July 16, 2021, though. You know what I mean? Like that's, I was thinking that, the same thing. Yeah. yeah like, I, I wonder if um, the, the thing that really and I know I, I know everybody's sick about sick of hearing it. But like, are we even going to be able to go see, see this? You know what I mean? This is probably going to this has got to come out on something, presumably, because we might not even be allowed in theaters still. Yeah. You know what I was wondering about it is if. Sony, you know, what would be really cool is if Sony was like, you can go see it in the theaters or uh, here it is on the PlayStation store, you know? Yeah. Uh, day and date, July 16th, yeah. 20 bucks. Whatever. Here it is I, on uh, PS Plus. Right, that would be awesome. That'd be wild. That'd be super cool. All right. Number 10 is a wrap up. Website Komatsu reports that racing game WRC 9 is coming to PS5 at launch on November 12th. Free to play game War Thunder is coming to PlayStation 5 in mid-November. Adventure game Spirit of the North Enhanced Edition is coming to PS5 on November 26th. And... FPS Captain Toonhead versus the punks from outer space is coming to PSVR in 2021. The website also reported on two delays. Survival game The Eternal Cylinder has been delayed out of 2020 and will now launch in early 2021. And racing game MXGP 2020 has been delayed on both PS4 and PS5, with the PS4 version now coming December 16th and the PS5 version on January 14th. The official PlayStation blog reports that strange RPG Haven is coming to PS5 December 3rd with a PS4 iteration launching in January. Popular PC monster hunting MMO Temtem is coming to PS5 on December 8th in so-called early access. And action RPG Tribes of Midgard is coming to PlayStation 5 in 2021. Website IGN reports farming simulator My Time at Porsche is getting a sequel called My Time at Sandrock, which will come to PlayStation 4 in the summer of 2022. No Man's Sky is coming to PS5 at launch in the form of No Man's Sky Next Generation beginning November 12th. And EA's dueling sports series Madden NFL 21 and FIFA 21 will both come to PlayStation 5 beginning December 4th. Publisher slash developer Ubisoft has revealed that its game Immortals Phoenix Rising, (laughs) formerly known as Gods and Monsters, has gone gold and will hit its December 3rd launch date on both PS4 and PS5. Website Push Square confirms that Overcooked All You Can Eat, which is a compilation of both Overcooked games plus all DLC and some new content, is launching alongside PlayStation 5 on November 12th. And finally, publisher Activision revealed some interesting statistics in its recent financial statements, including that its free-to-play Call of Duty game, Call of Duty Warzone, has surpassed 80 million downloads. It's also worth noting that if you read the report, they talk a little bit about how they are seeing massive upscale conversion by people downloading Warzone to the full version of Modern Warfare. So it's working. Whatever they're doing, it's working. Well, would you look at that? All right. So that's all the news, Chris. Now it's time for our intriguing games of the week. This is our replacement. If people didn't listen last week for the drop, we appreciate all of the feedback we've been getting, both positive and negative on this decision, by the way. I like doing it like this. I think it's more effective and I think it allows us to delve a little bit deeper and talk about a game without making fun of it and giving you guys something to look into. So, Chris, take it away. Yeah. So uh, the one that caught my eye and this they actually had a demo of this uh, a couple I think a couple months back that I played and really enjoyed. It's it's Ghost Runner. It's uh, published by Five Hundred Five, and I think 
developed by One More Level and 3D Realms, which I think a lot of people probably know 3D Realms from a lot of shit. But it's just this first-person kind of parkour obstacle kind of ninja game. It, it seems like it's built around you just kind of running through these obstacles and, like, dishing out enemies and trying to get, like, the... It's a speedrun kind of obstacle course game set in, like, cyberpunk ninja future. It's really cool. Um, the short demo that I played, uh, I remember playing over and over again for a while, which is kind of how I, I know something's cool. Um, and obviously, I have, like, hands-on time with this game, so I can actually be like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I would I would recommend this. I don't know how it runs, necessarily. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it's like uh, necessarily well optimized. I don't know if it's it's going to be I don't know if the story is going to be good. Probably not. But it's a really satisfying gameplay loop. It's it's everything that I like in FPS or first person games. It's quick. It's fast. It's very doom like uh, melee focused is really the only difference. But it's it's really cool. And, you know, I, I uh, I'd recommend checking it out. It's a great choice. That game was really cool. Yeah, the game that stood out to me, Chris, that I must give a shout out to, especially for our weebs in the audience, of which there are many, is Trails of Cold Steel 4, which finally has come out here in the West. It came out on PlayStation 4 in Japan over two years ago. It's finally on PlayStation 4 here in the West. There's an ironic uh, and an unfor- I shouldn't say ironic, unfortunate situation that has developed with this, though. I don't know if it's been ameliorated. I imagine it has been. But if you pre-ordered the game on PlayStation Network, you couldn't play it. For two days after it came out, like it wouldn't let you play it. You had to go and like either buy it fresh or buy the disc or if you pre-ordered it and gave them your money ahead of time, you were shit, shit out of luck. Classic stuff. But uh, Trails of Cold Steel is, of course, uh, the fourth game in this long running Trails of Cold Steel series from uh, Neon Falcom. And of course, uh, a lot of role playing game fans know Neon Falcom most notably probably for their East games. I was talking about how I'm playing East 8 earlier, but also, they did these long running Legend of Heroes games, Trails in the Sky and all that, a lot of PSP games. And then on to Vita, PS4, even Trails of Cold Steel and Trails of Cold Steel 2 were also on PS3. So I only played probably 15 hours or so of the original Trails of Cold Steel on Vita. I'm not crazy about it. It's very dense, but this is a series that people really, really love. It's a, an important uh, leg of the stool of JRPGs recently, Trails of Cold Steel, and it's coming out with more regularity. I'm more excited about East 9 personally coming out, which is the new East game that comes um, to PS4 uh, in February of next year. But in the meantime, Trails of Cold Steel 4, I think, will keep people company. And it is not on Vita this time around, which is unfortunate, but that is to be expected. 3 wasn't on Vita either. I also, before we go, Chris, though, have to, uh, before we go to the reader mail, have to give a shout out because it is a AAA game um, and people are going to be interested. Watch Dogs Legion is out. Now oh. on PS on PS4. Oh wow! So you can go check that out. Holy as well. shit! Yeah. So go check that out if you'd like. Wow, I I thought I I genuinely thought those were like early like because I, I saw some reviews of it and like I saw some gameplay of it and I was like ah oh, look I guess they sent that out early. Yeah they um they and I'm they, sure they I did are, but like I mean yeah, like, yeah, I, I had no idea sure. that it was that close. It is. It is upon us. It is here. Well, if, well. but PS5 you obviously have to wait till November twelfth. All right here, Chris, let's end as we always do with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from the audience as submitted on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. We always appreciate your submissions, your kindness, your generosity and support of our show. Let's begin with Eliezer Morales, who actually wrote in with a question that I hadn't really considered too deeply, but it's one that we should consider. He says, 
Hi, guys. With being less than two weeks away from the release of the PS5, what is the last game you'll be playing on the PS4? Now, this is more notable than in generations past because I was playing when PS4 came out. I played my PS3 probably for another 18 months or so. There were still games coming to it that I wanted to play. Yeah. With this, we don't with PS5. We have full backwards compatibility. So I hadn't really considered and I was kind of sad when I put this question into the document, Chris. I was like, man, I might have to I might be putting my PS4 away. I don't really need it anymore. And so I don't know what the last game it might be. Final Fantasy seven remake. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it that might be it. <laughs> that that might be it for me as you know, provided I can get my sound back. Uh, you know, I I would imagine Final Fantasy seven or oh, man, I, I, I feel like that's the only one that I, I feel like I need to finish. You know what I mean? Like that's 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 the only thing in my back catalog that I feel compelled and kind of taunted by. And I imagine that once I'm done with it, by the time I'm done with it, we'll be so close to the, the new machines that I probably won't want to start anything else. Yeah, I, I, it's just it's more about the literal hardware. Like, yeah, yeah, we are not really going to need it anymore. Maybe I might Watch give Dogs, it to my sister or something. Maybe I'll give Watch Dogs a try. I don't know. Hmm. But I don't know if I want my last game to be Watch Dogs. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I the reviews. I mean, I, I was just seeing some synopses, but they're saying the idea is good, but it's just the same gameplay. You know, yeah, so. it's a shame. Ben Williams wrote into us about a topic we talked about earlier. I guess we can get a little deeper into it here. I forgot we put it in here. Or I did. Hello, boys. Following up on your conversation surrounding Bethesda exclusivity. Could it be the case that Phil Spencer is not giving any firm answers on that because it would be illegal to do so? In a recent interview, Spencer said he couldn't discuss how he would run ZeniMax until the purchase was completed in mid-2021. I think it's very important to note that Microsoft has only publicly announced their intention to purchase ZeniMax and they have not actually made the purchase yet. This is likely the reason Spencer is so cagey with questions regarding Bethesda. What do you think? So there are legalities when these things happen, no doubt. I just think he's full of shit with this. He's very glad to talk about it until he's asked very specific questions that are really not out of bounds compared to the other things he's been talking about. And so I don't think it's weird to say, Phil, you're you're and now you and Microsoft announcing your intention of buying ZeniMax. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. Why is that illegal? Why? I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. You know, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. I, hmm, I, 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 I still don't understand. I don't I, look, I'm not a business person, right? You know, I, I know very little about this whole world. I know any, very little about, you know, these kinds of like major scale acquisitions. There's no way I understand like the purchase isn't complete until mid 21, mid 2021, but. There's no way that they haven't ostensibly purchased them, right? Like they've 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 done it. Yeah, well, I think that they're waiting until the end of the fiscal year for, you know, it's a huge seven point five billion dollar cash deal. So, right. I think that the intention has been announced. They might have some regulatory stuff because these are international companies. So I'm sure there's a lot of red tape, but it would be. But, but it, I, what I'm saying is like it would be wild yeah. for them to just be like, hey, I'm thinking about this, you know? Like they they wouldn't just be like, hey, I'm thinking about making this seven point five billion dollar acquisition, and then, like, I don't know, three months later, it doesn't happen. Like they they wouldn't. Would they do that? The only reason, well, I think the only way that would happen is if there was a regulatory problem or some problem. Right, with right. The, you know, like 
that might interfere, but I don't think that there's going to be any issue yeah. like that. I think these things are glacial, but my, my point is it seems nonsensical. And what it reminds me of, and and I, I don't know the exact legality of this, but I know that when, you know, in the United States, we have the um, pleading the fifth. The Fifth Amendment is the right to not incriminate, you know, the right against and self-incrimination. So you don't have to answer any questions from from law enforcement or in a court of law about anything that might impugn you in some way. This is a, a sacred right in the United States. But if you sacrifice your Fifth Amendment right while answering questions, you can't then reactivate your Fifth Amendment right. Like once you start answering questions, so you can't be like, I answered A, B, C and D. Oh, it's E and F. I don't want to answer anymore. Like that's not the way it really works. And that's just the, that's kind of what it reminded me of here where Phil is. And it's not only Phil, it's others, too, but are very happy to do their media tours over this. Very happy to talk about how exciting it is. They have Todd Howard involved. You know, they get all sorts of people involved from Bethesda and from Zenimax. Everyone's talking, everyone's chattering. But when they're asked very specific questions that seem to be not in any way overboard, then they're like, oh, well, the deal's not final. We can't really talk about that yet. I think that that's nonsense. I think it's nonsense. I mean, it's transparently nonsense. I mean, that's probably the reason they're giving. It's it's more likely, it's more likely the reason that they're not answering that question forthright is that they don't necessarily know what they're going to be doing because I think it really all shakes up on like how this next generation starts off, how it kicks off, uh, how their internal studios, uh, you know, manage through, through the launch window. I I imagine they're probably looking at a future where, you know, all of, I, I don't imagine that elder scrolls isn't coming to PlayStation. You know, that's, that seems very unlikely to me, but, I don't imagine that they can answer the specifics of that yet because like who knows maybe 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 they won't like maybe they genuinely won't or maybe there there will be some timed exclusivity and and I think maybe just to avoid saying something that could potentially be wrong in the future they're just like not answering specific questions about stuff that's really only kind of hypothetical especially because we know everything that's immediate like uh death loop and all that stuff is just sure. kind of already we, we already know that stuff is coming to PlayStation. Yeah, I think you're and I think in a way you're right. And but I don't think it's necessarily conspiratorial to say, oh, yeah, yeah. Why are you why are you even talking about this at all? Then like it, it's just like it's a way to in, inflate your peen, which I understand. And I think it's really important for Microsoft in the in the in the uh, shadow of their new Xbox. But I just think it's weird to like because you're, you're right. They, they first of all, they have no there's no reason for them to show their cards and, and betray their strategy. That is an argument that is totally valid when you're dealing with that kind of cash. It's like to say, like, we don't really know what we're going to do yet. Like, I'm like, yeah, you do. You know, you might you, <laughs> yeah. like, of course you do. You fucking crazy. You're going to spend seven point five billion dollars. It's not this is not a leveraged buyout or like stock exchanges or anything like that. Options. This is cash. And you don't know what you're going to do when you buy it. You're full of shit, you know. So I, I just I just want to keep regardless of which direction it goes. in, I think they're full of shit. Yeah, yeah, and I want to I want to call that out. I've been very nice to Xbox lately, so let's bring it back down to ground. All right, <laughs> it wouldn't be Bethesda if they if uh, it wouldn't be Bethesda related if they didn't announce or talk about shit way earlier than was necessary. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't announce Elder Scrolls Seven when they announced the uh, <laughs> when they announced the deal. All right, Cameron Smith wrote in and said, "Hey, Sacred Boys, in the spirit of the Halloween season, Halloween is upon us as we release this episode." What is the scariest game you lads have played? Doesn't necessarily need to be a horror game, just a game that perhaps made you soil your underwear. Are you planning on playing any scary games to celebrate Halloween this year? 
Love the show, guys. Keep up the great work. Much love from spooky Scotland. Scotland is spooky, isn't it? Very rainy and dreary. There. I, 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 I got to say something here. Yeah. Is this a real thing that people get afraid and shit their pants? Has that ever happened to you? I don't. It's not. No, it's not happened to me. No, I don't know where not, that comes right? from. That's I assume I assume there's probably a situation where you would shit your pants, right? Maybe someone pulls a gun on you. Maybe you're like in a war situation. I would imagine being pretty scared in that situation. I just don't know if I would shit. I don't but that's, know. That's, I don't that's know. what I'm saying. It's like yeah. just being afraid doesn't make you shit like that's that's. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too far into this, but like that's always been like something that I, I've thought about like every time i say it's like oh man you scared me i almost shot my pants it's like really is your i i just that seems so implausible that anybody could be that afraid at any given moment i feel like fear just like fear makes you more tense if anything right yeah that's what's so confusing ah whatever anyway that's got to come from somewhere anyway well that's that that in (laughs) itself is scary of course but are there any games that come to mind for you this holiday season Halloween season? Uh, PT. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. PT is so chilling. And it's, it's, it, is. It, it, it is, it is honestly, in my opinion, probably like the best, uh, the best horror game that I think I've ever seen. And it's not even really a game, it's just this demo with like looping kind of algorithmic quirks and all these like weird Kojimaisms, like with microphones and all this weird shit. And it's, it's, it's re- it looks really good, especially if, like for when it came out. It's like a stunning like game visually speaking. It looks real. I think in fairness, a lot of that is due to the muted colors and you know just the aesthetic of the overall art style. But that is that is still to me like one of the most effective horror experiences that I've ever seen. And there there were games that used to scare me when I was a kid. Like just I remember the ambience of medieval would would kind of freak me out when I was like in my house alone on like an October like kind of cloudy day or. Or uh, the first Resident Evil, I remember being kind of scared because the zombie that turns around when you walk at the end of the hallway looked very creepy. And and the hallway looked exactly like a hallway that was like in the mezzanine of my apartment building where I was growing up. So it was like extra just off-putting. But I really think like when when it comes down to like all-time stuff, it's it's definitely like PT is kind of like in a league of its own, I think. Yeah, PT is a really great choice. Two games came to mind for me. The first game that came to mind for me from the time I was playing it for the first time was Resident Evil 4, which I found truly haunting uh, at the time. It still is a pretty scary game, but I remember being so in college, I was like so wrapped up in this game. Yeah. And we've said in the past, the grays and the browns and the muted sepia and all that. It's it's amazing. Oh, yeah. No, Resident Evil 4 is great, especially aesthetically and especially like ambient wise. Like that is a that is a game I feel like people kind of um, don't give a lot of credit for. Like obviously it's like a beloved game, but nobody talks about it in the way that it like builds ambience really well and the fact that like they they don't overcomplicate like the soundscape and everything is just everything's quiet but not like in a lazy like oh they didn't even bother way. It's it's like a really genuine kind of uncomfortable loneliness that's accompanied by all these like grays and browns and like muted muted color schemes it's really 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 good i don't know if i would consider it scary but it's definitely like um man i don't even know what the word is necessarily i don't know if i would go haunting either but it's 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 unsettling for sure yeah i'm i can't wait for them to i can't wait to see them remake it oh man i feel like they're gonna fuck it up i hope not i mean we'll find out they're gonna be like hdr man and everything's gonna look saturated yeah, that, I hope not. You're right. You're probably they probably will fuck it up. And then 
the one that's it's that's actually only three years older than Resident Evil five or four rather. But um, I had played it again for knockback this past December and I hadn't played it since it came out, um, which is Dead Space. I think that's um another you know good choice. So, yeah. Oh, wanted to throw that out there just because it just popped into my head. Hellblade isn't scary, but uh, the way that they use like kind of like 3D audio and like kind of like binaural microphones is really kind of unsettling. And uh, well, it's like psychological, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's really yeah. good in, in that respect. It really like just hearing whispers in your ears and being like telling you to dodge and like sometimes they're trustworthy and sometimes they're not. is really like uh, harrowing to say the least. Yeah, I still need to play that game. The sequel will be now that Ninja Theory is an Xbox studio won't be on PlayStation, but first one's really good and it's really short, too. I think you would like it. Yeah, I got to get to that game at some point. Yeah, I bought it, as I recall, but I just never played it. All right, Jared Kellogg, heir to the Kellogg fortune, wrote in and said, hey, Crowlin, I don't have a particularly relevant question to recent events, but I wanted to ask Chris more specifically about his thoughts on The Last Guardian. I just played through it on a whim, and in spite of the notably frustrating controls and bad frame rate, I found it to be a surprisingly understated and beautiful experience. I know Colin wasn't really a fan, but Chris has stated on numerous occasions that he has had a great deal of affection for Shadow of the Colossus, so I figured I'd ask if he has any experience with it. Uh, Well, he does, and if not... I think you should give it a shot. I can't help but wonder if we'll ever get another game like this in the Eco or Shadow of the Colossus vein from Japan Studio, considering Last Guardian seemed to do quite poorly. Anyway, stay safe in the chillier months ahead. Well, of course, we're talking about Team Eco with those three games, not really so much Japan Studio itself. But I wonder if he played. He doesn't say. I wonder if he played. Oh, I'm sorry. I miss. I misread here. OK, so what do you think about? Uh, we haven't really talked about this in a while. This game kind of did come and go. Yeah. But how do you feel in hindsight about Last Guardian? Um I I don't know if I feel anything about The Last Guardian. I don't know. I I think it's definitely a game that has merit. It's definitely trying to do something that is kind of unconventional and I do appreciate that in in pretty much any game. Like it's it's why I love Death Stranding so much. And, you know, the Last Guardian really is kind of just this exercise in like, okay, you have this like really good looking world. You have this like really beautifully rendered space and this really kind of um, ambient kind of like really cool aesthetic going on. And then you have this gameplay system that kind of revolves solely around kiting an AI that like kind of learns as you go. And like, I, I get the concept, but I feel like just from a gameplay perspective it was a bit too frustrating for me i i think what i love so much about shadow of the colossus is how how unvideo game like it is but at the same time how how strong the video gamey parts of it are and how like you always kind of feel in control except when it's it's like to the game's strength that you don't uh i don't feel that when you lost control over that dog griffin thing in last guardian it was it was the best part of the game whereas like in shadow of the colossus when i felt my grip kind of loosening on on the hair of like a colossus as it flew upside down and I was in danger of like losing all my shit like that was like exciting and like thrilling and very very cool and just the way that that game marries boss designs and level designs in, and marries them into the same exact thing where like your bosses are your levels and and those levels in themselves take place within a level it's such a a brilliantly designed video game Shadow of the Colossus and I, I just feel like, although I loved that universe and I loved that aesthetic, really that game design system and, and that kind of 
level design system and the way that they approach that is is really the main reason why I loved it. Last Guardian, I felt didn't really hit those notes. It really just kind of hit the ambience and the aesthetics and like kind of like the tone, which I do like and I appreciate. But I don't know. I I couldn't I I couldn't love the Last Guardian as much as I wanted to love it. As far as Shadow of the Colossus is concerned, which I know Chris has a great affection for. I will just tease. We've been talking about knockback a lot on this episode, which is unintentional. But Shadow of the Colossus is in the next run of topics that we're going to do. So I have not. I never beat Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, I only played it on PS2 for a couple of hours. I didn't really like it. I never played the re-release from Team Eco Collection. uh, Or if I did, I played it for like a moment. And then I never played the remake, which, of course, Blue Point did. Mm -hmm. So a lot of different options there. So I'll have a more informed opinion on this game because Shadow of the Colossus is many people's favorite game. And I've never felt such a massive disconnect from a core game like that. I feel massive disconnects from games like League of Legends and shit like that. Where I'm like, I don't this. This game's fucking lame as shit. <laughs> yeah. Or like Persona. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, but even with Persona, it's like I like role playing games. I get it. I just don't want to play this. You know, with with Shadow of the Colossus, I just had such a massive disconnect where I'm like, I don't. The best game ever. You know, like I remember thinking this and being like, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like. It's I mean, like, that's inherently subjective. You know what I mean? And like that, that that is like an opinion that that'll change depending on like what time of day you ask them that question. You know, like, what's your favorite game on Tuesday? It's probably going it's probably not going to necessarily be the same. It's like asking somebody like what their favorite album is or like what their favorite movie is. Like, it typically depends on the mood. Like, you're not going to want you're not going to want to watch like Tim Allen's The Santa Claus after a funeral. You know, (laughs) like, you know, it's not the right time for that. So, like, I feel like, uh, <laughs> or Master of Disguise. Oh, God. Flashbacks. Uh, but, right. but no, yeah, I, I, I think, I think Shadow of the Colossus is, like, a, a, a stunningly, like, brilliantly designed game for, like, all the reasons that I was talking about before. Just, like, the, the fact that the boss designs and level designs are the exact same. Like, your bosses are your levels, and, and that in and of itself are, is taking place within its own arena that has its own, like, levels, level architecture and level design going into it. Um, the ending, the fact that you haven't beat it is actually shocking because the ending is arguably, I think what makes that game so brilliant. It's so good. I just couldn't get over the control scheme. I just couldn't do it. You yeah, know, it's, I, it's, it's a pretty archaic control scheme, even for that time. I think, I guess, I, I don't know. I, I'm really fidgety with controls and I thought it was okay. The, the only thing that was weird was like, I am pretty sure triangle was jump. So yeah, I had, that, that I, I had I to remember. get used to that. Yeah. But it's so weird. Yeah. I, I don't I think the remake has like different control schemes that you can that you can try but but i do think that i would imagine in a post you i think you playing it in a post having played death stranding world would probably find appreciation for it mm-hmm. well, i'm gonna give it a go i'm actually really i was excited my brother made the list this time and i was excited to see it on there so i'll have uh, maybe a more informed opinion on that soon you wait where are you what are you doing with your life right now he probably just is like i, I can't do this anymore i gotta get out of here <laughs> All right. Seth Bain wrote into us and said, hey, Daddy Colin and baby Chris, do you feel dissatisfied leaving a game behind before hitting a certain trophy percentage milestone? Call me crazy, but I hate seeing trophy percentages below 10% of my trophy list. I can't handle seeing them in the single digits, but oftentimes I will give up on a game that is simply not working for me. Death Stranding. Oh, we just brought that up. Being a recent example where I am stuck at 7%. It sounds silly uh, since I shouldn't feel an obligation to continue with a game that I don't enjoy for such a trivial reason. But it seriously bothers me. Keep popping those trophies. And he says something in parentheses. I don't even want to repeat. Boys. All right. Uh, yeah, this annoys the shit out of me. I hate it. 
I know that Chris probably doesn't care. I'm sure he doesn't. But for me, <laughs> this is a really annoying thing because there are two things that I think matter now in the world of trophies because the trophy ecosystem is so fucked. The first thing is like real platinums, how many platinums you have and then how many of those platinums are like worthy platinums. The second thing that I think is interesting and what I've been focusing on for a couple of years now is overall completion percentage, which I have myself up to almost 40 percent. And what that basically means is it's the average of the games you've created of you've played divided by, you know, the equal, you know, their respective percentages. And you have, you know, some sort of average there. So my average is like thirty nine point eight percent or something like that. Which is which is good. And I'm happy with that. So I get excited about bumping up those percentages. What I really love doing is going back and playing older games that I have trophies for. Like when Micah and I went back and played Streets of Rage 4 when she was here, I had played that earlier in the year and I went back and got a bunch of trophies. So I'm like, oh, I already had this game in the list. It's already counted. So now these trophies just boost up that percentage even more. That's kind of the sad space that I dwell in right now and for the last 11 years of my life. Yeah, sounds like hell. It is. Yeah. It is hell. I, I mean, like, is seeing is seeing like uh, poor trophy percentages does kind of bother me only because it feels only because it feels like it's it's judging you. You know what I mean? Mm, like, it, it's mm. not necessarily that I care about like how how far along in a game I get. But the fact that it's just like sometimes there's this long bar and it's only like it's almost like a teacher handing you back like a test. And it's like you got like a fucking Q on it you know it's like you didn't even get an F like you just like every not only was everything wrong but like even the things that were like close to being right were just like heinously misspelled you drew all over the back of it you did half of it in crayon like this is below F and like (laughs) that's kind of how it feels where it's like I just didn't like this game but you don't have to you don't have to shame me for not having like liked this game sure sure Yeah, a lot of people want to be able to delete trophies. I understand why that's not possible. That can be easily abused. Yeah. But the idea of and people are like, well, what's the problem? And I'm like, well, imagine if like a a, a hacker got into your account and then just deleted all your trophies, you know, (laughs) or like or like your brother's mad at you and they delete all your trophies. I mean, it would be that easy. But I do think that it would be cool for them because they they did at some point years ago add the ability to delete zero percent off your list if you never earned any trophies you can get rid of it yeah it would be cool for them to bump it up to be like all right all right if you earned like five percent or less we'll let you delete it because even if you have like a sibling delete your trophies at that point it's not that big of a deal yeah 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 i don't know i i i just i I don't care enough about it for it to really bother me but every time I, i i don't really check my trophy list because i just don't like seeing all those like shitty bars goddamn shitty bars (laughs) all right chris let's do one more from ethan bell he says hey boys do you expect to see new franchises emerge from sony's major first party studios this coming generation we we can expect many sequels from franchises like god of war horizon spider-man days gone ratchet and ghost of tsushima there are even rumors of uncharted and killzone coming back are we going to see these tentpole titles uh, carry us through the generation and not much new uh, much new come from the first parties in my opinion not such a bad thing but uh, who do you want to or expect to try something new? This is a good point from Ethan. That's why I wanted to include this, Chris, is because we are in a weird situation where a lot of the PS4 games did so well that they all kind of demand sequels. Yeah. And therefore, they're kind of going to take a lot of these studios out of the mix. So we're getting Horizon 2. We're getting God of War 2. We're getting Days Gone 2 for sure. We're getting Ratchet 2. We're going to get a Ghost of Tsushima 2. Spider-Man. And it does kind of say like, well, what, what, you know, it doesn't leave a lot for new ideas, which is why I feel like they do need to make some acquisitions and announce some of these new teams. 
do you want to see yeah. more new ideas and how, how are they how do you think they should balance this? Because obviously they do want to feed the appetite for a God of War 2, for instance. Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be tricky because this this is probably like the first time that I can recall in in in, in PlayStation history, at least where a lot of the and obviously there are like some under there are some outliers. But, you know, for the most part, you had, you know, on PS1, you had all three Crash Bandicoot games on the original PlayStation. And then when they moved to PS2, they did all of the Jack and Daxter games. And when they moved to PS3, they did, you know, the Uncharted games. And it's a similar thing with like Insomniac with like um, Sly and or, or not Insomniac with Sly, Insomniac with Ratchet. And although I guess they've been doing that for a while and, and, and Sucker, Sucker Punch, Punch with Sly, Sucker yeah. Punch with Sly and, and, then, and then obviously to Infamous and then obviously to to now Ghosts. This is kind of the first time where we've had we've ended a generation in PlayStation with the beginnings of new successful franchises. So like this next generation is definitely going to be carried a lot by those sequels mm. in a way that we haven't seen before. Because typically when a new generation starts for PlayStation, it's usually like, here are these, all right, here's the next new thing from Naughty Dog. Here's the next new thing from Sucker Punch. Here's the next new thing from, you know, uh, whatever. And now we just kind of, oh, well, yeah, let's get another Spider-Man, another Days Gone, another Ratchet, another Ghost, another God of War, another Horizon. Maybe God, another Last of Us, God help us. Yeah, I hope not. I really hope not. Actually, I kind of wouldn't mind it at this point, but I don't know. I just want, I want something else. But yeah, I totally they, understand. That. They, I think, have the biggest likelihood of offering us something that is uh, not just the sequel. I, th- I think they're the most likely kind of studio to do something completely different, just because, just because of of the massive undertaking that The Last of Us Two, like no doubt, was. I feel like they're in no rush to begin something that now has to live up to that now you know what i mean like it seems like something that even like dude if if i was behind a game like that if i was a if i was making a sequel to the last of us one i would be like oh man i don't know if i want to do that that's a lot you know and then to have done it and then to do that again just sounds like mentally insane like i feel like you actually have to be like a like a masochist to want that so i feel like they they're the most likely studio that's probably going to give us something something new, if if not purely just just for that reason. I hope so. I think it can go both ways for them because I think they had so much toxicity surrounding that game that part of me is like, all right, so what does that toxicity lead Neil Druckmann and company to do? The two different paths, right? Like one is like we don't want to we don't want anything to do with this anymore. This is too much. The other thing is like, you know what? Fuck you guys. You know, we'll just do a third one now and 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 double down on the game. It's it's an interesting. Uh, juxtaposition too because I'm sure the game sold appreciably where it could demand another game but I think that they should be doing something else oh yeah well th- that's the thing it's like they always sell well enough to demand mm-hmm. I-, I just th- to demand sequels you know what I mean like obviously Uncharted Uncharted 4 sold well I obviously you know obviously their last crash game crash game sold really well and they were like no well, let's let's do something else and I, f- I feel like it's less about the amount of games uh, there's only two last of us games so it's not like there's like four uh, like like there were crashes or there were Uncharted's, but I feel I feel like time wise now is kind of the appropriate time to step towards something else. And I feel like Naughty Dog, uh, for all of their flaws as of late, I, I feel like they're still smart enough to know when the the best time to start something new is. And and quite honestly, like I I I don't see a lot of people wanting to stick around at a studio in the middle of all of this shit 
that's going to make another one of these games. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I, I don't imagine anybody. Go, oh, hey, yeah, I got I had to go on Live Leak again to look up, uh, you know, heads split open in the Congo so I could realistically render this <laughs> freaking <laughs> Ellie animation. Like, I just I just don't see that happening for the next six years uh, or for however long it's going to take them to make something. It probably is a depressing space to to work in after yeah. a while, especially going from pulp with Uncharted to. Yeah, something so serious. I'd, I'd imagine it's a depressing space to work in, even d- divorced from the current state of everything. You know, yeah. so oh, like yeah. I, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of reasons why I why I think they're most likely to give us something new. Obviously, because obviously not the least of which is is the fact that like this is a, a you know a two game series, but it's it's been you know seven years. You know, that's a long time to focus on a single series, and I think I think. After Factions comes out, I feel like that's probably going to be their big, that's going to be like their Jack X, you know, like, hey, here's a, <laughs> I would love them, I would love for them to do Uncarded though, I, or, or or like the, the Fast of Us. The Fast of Us, I, 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 you're the one who told me that title for the first time, I hadn't heard that one, that's a, that's a good one. I, I think that this is a good problem for Sony to have in some way, because the, the potential of PS4's library will now come to fruition on PS5, but this is where they really need to be clever with second parties. Like I said, also acquisitions. Because remember, they did try to develop some second party ideas on PlayStation 4. Bloodborne is one of the most beloved games on the console, and that is a second party game. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, they tried things with like Until Dawn, which I thought was awesome, and lesser successful games like The Order 1886. Those all came from second party. So I think they probably have already made those investments and set those seeds, and then we'll see if they come to fruition. And in the meantime, the first parties can tackle these more major projects. I think Insomniac is probably the biggest point of interest to me because I think that they have the capability of running more and are running more than two teams. Yeah. So we are going to get Spider-Man 2 after Miles Morales. We are probably going to get a third ratchet, but um, what else are we going to get from them? Maybe a PSVR game or something. So that's kind of exciting. And then are some of these teams splitting in the multiple teams? I think it's pretty clear that Gorilla has been working on multiple games for a while. Yeah. Santa Monica, there's the, you know, there's the uh, there's a rumor going around that I saw. I don't, I don't know how, you know, how founded it is, but that uh, Barlog is working on something else within Santa Monica. Yeah, well, we talked about that on the show. Were you here for that episode? You might not have been. Yeah, we yeah, talked I think, about I think that. We were. Yeah, when he was yeah, tw- yeah. when he was tw- uh, when he changed his Twitter. Yes, it, which would be awesome because then, yeah, that would mean that there are two games in development there, which would be really exciting of the AAA variety. So, Ethan, thank you for your question. We appreciate it. We'll have to see what happens. That's all we have, though, for this episode of Sacred Symbols. A PlayStation podcast. I somehow made it through. I don't remember anything about the show already. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's, it's one not, of those days. It is. I'm so tired, dude. I got to go eat. And this is going to be one of those things now where I'm like just awake all night. Oh, no, you got to you got to like uh, pop a melatonin or something. Yeah, I'll pop something. All right. <laughs> uh, Chris, thank you for your time. Appreciate you as always. Of course. No worries, man. And uh, thank you all out there for your love, kindness and support. We'll talk to you next time on Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Until then, goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. 
As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Casual Misfits Gaming, Nick DeMarco, Constantine Valencia, an unofficial controller podcast, Andrew Morgan, Gregory Slavinsky, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Zach Parsley, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Ben, Azan, Isaac Wasteman, Michael Vecchio, Brianne, Joey Finelli, Jerome Ferreira, SL the FMA, Ryan T. Mandel, Jorge Palomino, Paul Joyce, Enrique Perez, Don Lee, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Homeworld Hub, 3DPrintShop.com, Chris Buston, Nick Thornton, Betty Ann Moriarty, Colin Jewell, Nelson LeBlanc, Daniel Johnson, Zach Bonham, Jay Getter, Terrell Parson, Vexius, Jeff Mercado, Galja, Darren Gardner, Of Fortuna, Boots, Megadet, Sal Balcazar, Raul Melendez, Bloody Fang, Eric Harden, Matt Martin, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, TB Lightning, Anti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Chris Galvin, Ryan Murdoch, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Chris Buston, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., Damon Weathers, Carl Tolman, Richter86, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Kevin Komaki, Blake Israel, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Connor Gashian, Organic Produce, Mubarak, Carlos Algorit, McDog18, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Ray Laja, David Castanez, Donnie Nolan, Josh Yeager, Toothless Gibbon, Martin Beck, Gavin, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Sci-Fi Book Club, Lawrence F. Prokop, Colin Davenport, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, John Scholz, David Chestnut, Yusuf, Anton K., Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Corey Wyatt, James Kinslow III, Hugo Desk, Peter Reynolds, William O'Carroll, JSCO828, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw7, Mike Wayne, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Jesse Owens, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Sean Chandler, Petro Roge, Gio Corsi, Greg Lada, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, Chad Lewis, Todd Paxton, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, John Cordero, Greg Julius, Mark Boggio, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Peterson, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Toby Schutman, Patrick Carper, Mad Mock Media, and Jonathan Rice. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.